Episode 152, Hot Shot Scott, begins with a little Stump the Band. Oh, I was just thinking of Stump the Band on the way to your house. I don't like know why. Like the Carson Stump the Band or like the 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 Fakakta Stump the Band that we did for 20-something years on the radio <laughs> well, show. to be fair, they're both kind of Fakakta Stump the Band. By the way, but... am I allowed to do Stump the Band? I've never been given a cease and desist order from KJR. I'm oh. doing Stump the Band, little our little snips of Stump the Band here on the on the podcast, on the Mitch Unfiltered yeah. podcast. Well, I don't think NBC is going to reach out. They, they would have to be the ones. They started it, right? <laughs> yeah, so I if you so. get a letter from Carson's people, <laughs> maybe stop. But I don't think they have any right so over there. So a letter from Rich Moore, <laughs> nah. I shouldn't cease and I shouldn't desist. Nah, that right? doesn't hold the same kind of weight. Would you like a little Stump the Band trivia? Of course. I'm going to give you a 37% chance <laughs> Okay. Of getting this stump the band question correct. Oh boy! All, All right. right, it's football trivia. I've heard of football. It's a good start. There's a story in the news this past weekend about Kellen Mond. Do you know who Kellen Mond is? This is not the stump the, the no. band question. Kellen Mond was a Texas A&M quarterback, a very successful SEC Texas A&M quarterback, okay. who was, I believe, this past draft drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. He tested positive for COVID nineteen. Okay, and because in the quarterback's room, he was very close to starting quarterback Kirk Cousins. Right. Cousins has been deemed high-risk close contact. So has the other quarterback or one of the other quarterbacks named Nate Stanley. Now, this is a story because the Vikings now have no quarterbacks to practice with at training camp. <laughs> okay. So the stump the band question is this. Oh, boy. With Kellen Mond not available to practice. And Kirk Cousins not available to practice. Yeah. And Nate Stanley... Not available to practice. That leaves one healthy quarterback to practice for the Minnesota Vikings as training camp continues in Egan, Minnesota. And your stump the band question is, who is that quarterback? Da-da-da. Jake Browning. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Wow. Yeah, see? I surprise you from time to time, don't I? About 37%. <laughs> Very, very good. I didn't know that you remember that Jake Browning was in Minneapolis. So, you know why I didn't know that you remembered? Because I didn't remember. Uh, well, and when I saw his name, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask to see if Hotshot can get that straight. I was recently watching a game from 2016, the Huskies. But my DVR records every Husky football game they air. So yeah. every re And I was like, oh, yeah, Jake Browning, he was pretty good. Was pretty good. What happened to Jake Browning? Who drafted him? Wasn't he terrible his senior year? He, it felt like he kind of got worse. Yeah, like he, his, he was like better his sophomore year and then yeah. dropped a little. Which year? One of the years they went to the national championship final 16, four. 16, I want to say, 2016. So I, well, I know that, but which year would that have been of his? Would it have been a sophomore Maybe or his sophomore year, year yeah. 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 Yeah, him yeah. and Gaskin were sophomores, I think, at yeah. the same time. And yeah. So, yeah, so that's so – had I not knew, looked that up, okay. I don't know if I would have you known. You knew that he was a Minnesota Viking. I had forgotten Only recently I looked Viking. it up. <laughs> but good. the fact that you asked me, I maybe would, could have done the Husky math and thought, well, somebody oh. we all sort of know. So I kind of gave it away. A little bit, I telegraphed yeah. the pass. A little bit, I yeah. looked at the guy I was passing to. Yeah, you're no Marino. I mean, you telegraph that thing, you know. Well, Marino could telegraph it, but you couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> It'd still get in there he somehow? Could, he could tell you. Oh, I'm throwing it to him right go. now, and there's nothing you can do about <laughs> okay, it. Okay, fine. Lucas Hazelwood writes, absolutely love the Dan O'Brien interview from episode mm. 151. Keep up I. the great work. You guys are great. Did you listen to the Dan O'Brien interview? I did. Interview? It was did great. you like it? Yeah, and I just, I swear, part of me didn't want to finish listening to it because I, I didn't I didn't want to hear when he didn't make the team. It was just, I knew it was going to kind of bum me out, but it was fascinating to well, hear his take on it. you know there's a good it. ending to it. Yeah, I, I know there is. I just kind of wanted to fast forward that because I remember I was a senior in high school and I, Nike was everything. And I remember the campaign and that was a big deal. It wasn't 
Nike. I, or it sorry, was Reebok. Reebok. But it was it a was big deal. It was pump you up. It was the D brown. Yes. Know. Oh, I love the pump shoes. <laughs> David Robinson has them too. But I, it was everywhere, that, yeah. that campaign. Yeah. So I found myself knowing a decathlete. I thought he was really good on episode 151. I kind of knew he would be yeah. because I've interviewed him before and I've heard others that have interviewed before. He's kind of an open book. He'll tell you the whole story about sure. his life and, you know, failing out of college, having to go to Spokane Community College <laughs> yeah. to get his life back in order, drinking too much, partying too much. Yeah. And then the 19, I'll never forget that 1992 Olympic trial where where the campaign, the Reebok campaign was going, and he was like the best in the world by a by a wide margin. He yeah. wasn't the best in the United States in 92. Yeah. He was the best in the world yep. by a large margin. And he doesn't even qualify to get into the Olympics because he chooses a height that's too high in the pole vault, and he goes three straight and doesn't get and doesn't qualify. He, he had to just jump. Like he, I, I think he could have put it at like two feet. Right. Just jump over <laughs> what it. What's he doing? <laughs> I don't know. It, it was, I don't know. It was interesting, though, when you said, because I didn't know that he went to the Olympics anyway. And worked in these. In a, oh, as an announcer. I mean, yes. you were you were sort of su- suggesting like, wasn't that kind of awful? Like <laughs> masochism, embarrassing. Is like, do you want to show your face? Oh. He he was a complete opposite. Yeah. No, actually, like it, it made him want to get back in 1996. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I want to see that sports complex he's opening up in Arizona. That thing sounds, sounds really really incredible. Nice. Anyway, yeah. if you haven't seen or heard Dan O'Brien on episode 151, the former 1996 United States Olympic decathlon champion, gold medal champion of 96 in Atlanta. Nick writes, just wanted to say I really enjoyed episode 151 this morning. Enjoyed hearing Dan O'Brien talk about all of his experiences as well as the other two guests. But I had to listen to the episode twice just to make sure I understood it. You see, I'm a simple patron. And sometimes your complex Monday shows... They, those interviews, they really confuse me, and I much rather enjoy the dumbed-down versions on the oh. Thursday patron shows. That guy's never going to live that, is that down, is what he? What show is that? I, was that the 151 or 151P that I read that guy's email? I think, uh, I don't know. It was the it must one, have been 151, yeah. Yeah, because I think it was the one, it, I remember he was talking about the 911 operator. Right. And you got about as much as you would want from right, her. Right, 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 yeah. Considering that it was a patron show, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like <laughs> it didn't make any sense. Yeah, so I like oh. this. I like this email. Nick follows up on that. People will never let that go away, will they? Okay, and then there's this one. Uh, about three months ago or so, I found this is Chris. Okay, about three months ago or so, I found out about your podcast. Okay, I had always enjoyed your radio show. We arrived in Washington about the same time in 1994. Instead of joining in by listening to recent episodes. I started at the beginning and I've been going forward. I'm currently at 61P. <laughs> wow. So this guy's not going to hear me read his letter for another like 10 months. Right. He's, only, he's 90 behind. Yeah, you'll be hosting a new podcast <laughs> by the time he gets to this letter. I became a patron at around episode 32. So I have some thoughts. Oh, boy. He's got a bullet point, lots of bullet points of thoughts. Would you like to hear his thoughts about the podcast? Sort of. I don't know, because he's he's living through the transition from J-Ham to me, so I can well, see. He kind of is. Yeah, I can see this getting ugly Because for me. that's where he is right now. Like, he's, I don't know, he, he's listening right now to talk about the Seahawks, like, third game <laughs> of the season last year. Right. Uh, here, here are some of his thoughts. Episode one. 
brought a tear to my eye. I have done some things that I'm not proud of. I'm eternally grateful that I still have the love and support of my family. I loved episode number one. By the way, episode number one, for all of you who haven't heard it, it was the very first show that, that I, I, I felt like I had to do yeah. before I started the podcast. We've talked about it. I think you were on the, the text. We talked about just re- Posting? What would resending yeah. out? What, what's the word that I would be? Re, yeah, I think reposting. Reposting. Yeah, yeah. Reposting episode one because it's really hard to go back, and a lot of people won't do it that have come to the show in recent months or years as yeah. it is now. It's three years. So I thought this month in August, before the NFL season starts, we'll just send it out again. Good. We'll just post it again, and people are gonna like look at their phones and go, "Episode one? <laughs> what happened? I thought it's on one fifth, other one fifty two. But we're gonna be do. Jay Ham's gonna want money for that too, so you gotta be careful with that. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're using his content. He won't even know. Okay. <laughs> I love the interviews. Number two, I love the interviews with Ben Wright and Ken Green. I'm not a huge golf fan, but these were very good. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, number three, although Hotshot's basketball and golf knowledge is not on par with Jason Hamilton's, <laughs> I think he's funnier and more enjoyable to listen to. Hamilton sounded sleepy at times. Okay. A little shot at Jason Hamilton. A little one at me as well. Yeah, a little one yeah, at yeah, you Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. I'll take it. Uh, number, I guess this would be number four. Regarding your tale of the tape for Seahawks games, he's now going to evaluate my tale of the tape <laughs> for Seahawks games. Oh, my God. I don't know if you're still doing that or if it has changed at all, but there seems to be two glaring omissions. There should be a turnover ratio category. Did I not do a turnover ratio category every week? Yeah, I thought you did. Okay, I thought I did. But maybe you added it later? Did you not have it from the first it, it, time? It's not one of the original, like, eight categories. Yeah. Like, six, there's eight, eight yeah, offensive, yeah. eight defense. I do it kind of as a as its own, its own standalone. Right. I thought I did I thought anyway. you did, too. And there should be something to assess special teams. The former would be easy to do. I got it because I, I, I think I've done it. I'm not sure about the latter. I don't know if there's a good way to give an overall rating for special teams. He wants special teams included in the tale of the tape. <laughs> who needs someone going back and judging your work from two years ago? I mean, who needs it, right? <laughs> Number, well, he took the time to write, so he I did. thought I'd share right, with you. Fine. Uh, next, next. Uh, the only segments and episodes I've skipped are the ones involving fantasy football, he writes. Okay. I'm sure some people are interested in, interested in it, but it's not my cup of tea. Fine. Thank you very much. Yep. And the final one is, finally, I love the interviews Hotshot did with you recapping your life and telling all the old funny stories, such as CJ Silas in Chicago, the KJR softball team story where you bring in a last-minute replacement and he ends up throwing out the first pitch at a Mariners game, and Digger Phelps. I don't remember telling the Digger Phelps story. Did I tell the Digger Phelps story? The one about him wanting to throw you out a window? Yeah. Yeah, we talked about it. <laughs> that was Jamie Moyer's father-in-law. You know, oh, that's for right. For a long time, not anymore. Oh, not anymore. No, I think he and, and Karen are not married anymore, but oh, I'm not okay. sure about that. Don't don't quote me on that. Keep up the good work. That's uh, Chris. Nice. That's what he has gathered. He's only, but he's only at 51. Right. He's got another 90, 61. He's got another 90 to catch up. So in two years, we'll know how we're doing right now. <laughs> He'll tell us. I can't wait yeah, to find in out. In two years, we're going to find out how we okay. did in 2021. All right. The final group of best of guests over the first 1,000. As some of you know, we, we decided to do three shows worth kind of every other week during the summer. We picked nine of our first 1,000 on Mitch Unfiltered. Mm -hmm. And these are the final. These aren't the last three. These are just the, the other three. Yeah. We haven't done them in any kind of an order. We were right. trying to mix sports and non-sports. Do you remember? Do you remember Charlie Plum? 
Charlie Plum. Do you remember the man who flew 74 combat missions oh, over Vietnam boy. before being shot down on number 75, taken prisoner, tortured for 2,103 days? Do you remember that interview? Uh, yeah. Do you remember his personality and how uplifting and his, and his, and his outlook on life? Do you remember how contagious it was? I, I just, yes, I do. And I can't get over the fact that he broke his walkie-talkie on purpose on the way down to being captured. I, I can't get over it. You've mentioned no that. No matter what million, he says. You've mentioned that several times, oh, yes. I, he'll never be able to give me an he, answer as no, to well, why you know, he did it. Oh, I thought you, we know why he did it. Well, I know, but it's not suffice. <laughs> to, I mean, I, it's, 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 it, no, I don't want to hear that. Your only outlet to uh, possibly being rescued, and you, you, you don't want anything to do with it. No, he doesn't want anything to do with it. I, he didn't want anybody coming after him. I'll remember that the rest of my life. I, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard, I think, yeah. He's parachuting down knowing he's toast. If you have, if you have not heard this interview his outlook on life is so remarkable that you yeah. will look it will literally be changing it will be it may only change you for the next day or two or yeah. week <laughs> but you will look in the mirror and remember griping about little things you got to listen to this guy yeah 2103 days captured and tortured prisoner of war in hanoi Okay, crazy, and he tells this story. Uh, if you haven't heard it, he'll tell it on this on this episode. Jim Moore, the segment with the longtime Seattle area writer and talk show host, lots of fun stories, great stories about yeah. about his dealings with different people in the Seattle sports world. And Nikki Carr, okay, Tasha, ah yes, from the Geico commercial, yep. the one with the the what do they call it? Tag team, the music, the music. They had tag team, and they're yep. in the kitchen. Scoop there it and is. She, yeah, scoop there it is. Yep. Tasha tells. Her story, we had no idea it was going to be as emotional and moving. Yeah. She gave acting a try, failed, didn't get anything, and then this kind of fell out of the sky. Yeah. She got emotional during the interview. You'll love Tasha from the Geico commercial or Nikki Carr, the name of the actress, if you haven't heard it as of yet. So she couldn't go. have been more likable. She was amazing. So nice. I, I know. Right? And so so humble and so appreciative of this work that she got. Yeah, it's it was a great interview. So after these three, thank you. After these three, <laughs> you'll have nine, the nine that we chose from the first. And we will be at 1,000 interviews over the last three years. Congratulations to you. Them. Nice job. Yeah, great. It's amazing. And what do I get for that? Uh, good to see <laughs> you twice a week. What a deal. <laughs> Episode 152, Hot Shot Scott begins officially in a moment. Daniel's broiler is still in need of employees hiring across the board from busboys to waiters to hostesses to bartenders, full-time, part-time, even movie mogul Max is bussing tables at Daniel's Broiler. If you or someone you know is looking for a job, danielsbroiler.com or just stop in at any of the locations. Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Training camps, are all active now. Guys are already getting hurt, like Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. Our Fireside Home Solutions Beat the Boys competition is on the way back this football season. Thanks to John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions. Great partners. Begin and end your search like we did for a brand new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. You heard the news last week. Jordan Flowers and his entire Kirkland Mortgage Group has been in hot demand and has decided to change teams. They are now officially the Kirkland home of Cross Country Mortgage, offering the best refinance rates on your home. How much can you save every month on your mortgage? Call Jordan and his team, 425 890 
1-800-522-2957. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers, all working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof at Evergreen Golf Call. Evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. And Zeke's Pizza, from Tacoma to Bellingham, uniquely Northwest with the best craft beer selection you'll find anywhere. And by the way, you can have your favorite beer delivered to your door with the pizza by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app. This is episode 152. Seahawks training camp is underway too, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. This group of people out there that just don't get mental health. They don't get it. They don't struggle with it. They've had nobody in their family struggle with it, so they think it's kind of a fraudulent thing. It's not a real thing. Okay. And I think probably in 25 years from now, maybe when I'm long gone, I hope I'm around in 25 years, probably in 50 years from right now, it'll be treated just like a torn ACL. Unfiltered. Everybody is euphoric. Places going crazy. Crazy. Players are excited. And how does Jerry DePoto celebrate? (laughs) He trades one of the most popular guys the next morning to the Astros. (laughs) I want to party with that guy. Mitch is unfiltered. Okay, episode 152 is now officially underway. Yes. With my dear friend, that's the voice of Hotshot Scott Soden. Uh Somebody might be listening in the audience right now wondering... He calls him Hotshot all the time. Yeah. Where did Hotshot Scott and when did Hotshot Scott get that nickname? Well, back in grade school, my PE teacher, Mr. Craig Bafus, who yeah. I think is still alive, actually, yeah. used to call me Hotshot Scott all the time, and it really annoyed me. Yeah. I don't know why it bothered me. I didn't know that. So he was the first, but then I, I get into ra- I started interning at KJR. This Nobody sports- was calling you Hotshot when you no. were interning at KJR. I, I didn't like it in grade yeah. school, and it, I felt like you it was just condescending. Like it. Yeah, well, Even- it is. <laughs> it is, it's, but it's worse in radio because people think I gave it to myself, which well, is awful. Well, you kind of embraced it because now you, you call yourself Hotshot on Twitter and on social media. And you, now, I was 12 years ago. It's kind of like the fish. <laughs> the fish has determined now that he's the fish. Yeah, he's got little Jeff poker Aaron's chips the, yeah. on his face on him. Of course, he's yeah, got he little logos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I start interning yeah. at this radio station called KJR in Seattle, yeah. 950. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I start running the board for a guy who's new to town, Mitch in the Midday. Ooh. Yeah. And I, for some reason, you just looked at me and said, Scott, hotshot Scott, kind of like joking around. And then you right. told me about the story about a guy who called himself that at Syracuse. That's right. And that's kind of what he reminded S- I you I think of. his name was Scott Bergstein. I think that was his name. Okay. He was at Syracuse. He was a, a hotshot DJ. Oh, he was? He like was a- like the number one DJ at our campus radio station. Uh- you guys had like like power rankings on who the best was? I mean, how do you know he was yeah. the number in one? In Phil Steele's college football preview <laughs> right. magazine. And he called himself Hotshot Scotty Burke. Yeah, so now he gave it to himself. That's I noxious. Think, I think. I don't know that for sure. You'd have to ask Kevin Martinez. He would know that okay. from the Seattle Mariners. He would be able to tell you better than – or Kevin Martinez, as we used to call right. him. Right, yeah, yeah, Kevin yeah. Martinez. Uh-huh. But, but – uh, Hotshot Scott. So that for some reason, when I saw, it's not that you look like him. Yeah, 
You never looked like right. You would have said Brad Pitt if we were doing no, that. No, because yeah, he was yeah. he was a really handsome guy and you know, <laughs> right, very cool. No, but I, I don't even know why. I, yeah. you know, I, I guess I was going through a phase where I was nicknaming pe- people like the fish Jeff Aaron, yeah, yeah. and this guy and that guy, and you, I, your name was Scott, so I say, hey, hot shot Scott. This is how I and knew. It stuck. Well, this is how I knew I was in trouble. I was only there for like a few months, and I see Brian Wheeler. Yeah. He goes, hey, hotshot. I'm like, oh, my God. Brian Wheeler's <laughs> calling me hotshot now. Now I know it's just, it's over. Forget it. It's hot official. Shot. And there it was. And there it was. And that yeah. was what year? 1995. 1995. And then I actually, I, when I went So over, you've had the nickname now. Well, if you go back to your teacher, you've had the nickname a lot longer. But that's uh, five. I can do the math. 26 years. Yeah. Since 1995. And when I went to Cube 93 after leaving you, it was a big debate on whether they should call me that or not. Oh, and did they? Or, I've asked you this. Did they or did they, they not? Did. They did. We decided that I have a little name recognition, and so let's just go with but it, But Rob guess. couldn't have been happy. Rob Tepper couldn't have been happy calling you something from other like people. He didn't like it. He had trouble with it. <laughs> It would be hopscotch or uh, uh, hot something. Yeah, he would always like tweak it on prayer. Yeah, he didn't like it. Because he, he didn't come up with it. Probably. If and he it, had come up with it, he would have liked it. <laughs> he would have loved it at oh, that of point. Course, okay, of gotcha. <laughs> that's the way that's the way everybody is in radio. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing's original in radio. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, Howard There's Stern, no if, if, you, if you ever turned on a microphone, he invented that. So, you know, it's like, yeah, n- nothing. He, he did everything first, uh, if you haven't known. Well, I'm here with Hot Shot Scott <clears throat> yes. on episode 152. Real quick, I just want to yeah. tell you that, remember I recommended that Paul McCartney series on you Hulu? Did. You have recommended so many things. <laughs> I need to now live. Yeah. Let's put it this way. If I tried to watch everything that you've recommended. Yeah. Chris, who's on episode 61, would beat me <laughs> right. to 150 before I would get through all the TV yeah. shows that you have. I know. You have yeah. things like senior golf to watch. I'm sorry to get in the way of that. I mean, I know you can't find okay. time in first your schedule. All, first of all, <laughs> it's yes. called champions. Golf, oh, sorry. Yes. Not seniors anymore. Because they're all champions, yes. And second of all, yeah. I happen to be a senior. <laughs> That's true. Those are your people. So I'm watching <laughs> your people of my ilk. <laughs> people you went to high school with. Anyway, people uh, have... Uh, some are younger than me uh, that are playing good. Champions Golf. Yeah. yeah a lot good. of people have reached out and said they loved my it. my therapist on the phone. So, so if anyone has Hulu and they want to watch this Paul McCartney I want to, I want to do it, but I don't know. I think we have Hulu, but I'm not sure. Okay. Well, you probably do. Does everybody have Hulu or do you pay for that? No, but you have two teens and I'm sure they bought it at some point. You don't even know. That'd be my guess. <sighs> how yeah. much are, do you think... I, I don't explore this, but if I went and I explored how much a month we pay... Yeah, you don't want to explore. For all of these streaming services and whatever this Xbox Live is. I keep getting... They tell me they only do it once a year, but I, I, I swear I'm getting that $100 charge a lot more than once a year. It does feel like that. Like I, 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 I'm like, I, again? I just did. Did I just do this? <laughs> I swear to you, I have a, I have a website that I, I don't really use anymore, but I still yeah. pay for it because I want to keep the names. ScottSoden.com. <laughs> no, Hot Shots. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think both work, actually. But I swear to God, it's every two months they call for... Or like that... that and I actually wrote it in my phone to make sure. Okay, it's okay. June 13th. So when they ask me again, I'm going to check. And if it, it better, if it says February 13th, I'm going to fly down to Arizona and beat someone's ass at GoDaddy. So yeah, I pay for Xbox Live. I never use it. I mean, who knows, right? What if we all canceled? And I don't want you to do this because Mitch Unfiltered patrons, I don't want you to do this. Yeah, right. But what if we all canceled our... What, what if we all just sat down and decided we're going to cancel all of our... Um, Platforms, not platforms. Um, subscriptions. Okay. Anything that you subscribe oh. to, anything. 
TV, cable, cable, uh, anything, internet, any insiders, except for except for Mitchy the Mitch Unfiltered That's Patriots. Right. Yes, yes. What if we? How much money would we all save if we just decided we're gonna sit down with our bills yeah. and anything we magazines, anything? It's crazy. Anything you subscribe to, you cancel. There's a cell phone a subscription. You'll have at least enough money for some extra Starbucks coffees each month. Without, if you did, cable alone is like two fifty. I, well, it's cable yeah, and pay, internet. I pay, yeah, yeah. Sometimes just, it don't work so well. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> By the way, you should call for a credit on that. On a side note, no one knows what we're talking about, but they will credit you for the time it was down. It was down for like two hours. Uh, you'll you'll get a credit. I'm telling you, if it's five bucks, take it from them. Oh you pay God. enough every month. I know, and people. Oh I, I've said God. before, I've got the dish. I've got the Direct TV oh, rolling. Both. That's crazy. I've got Infinity. I got two phone. I got landlines. landlines. <laughs> I feel like at this point I can't get rid of the landlines because I'm Mr. Landline. Oh, People yeah. know me as Landline. If, if, uh, somehow I think I wouldn't be able to keep it a secret. Somebody over there would would like put on social media, hey, hey Mitch canceled yeah. his landlines. I hate to break it to you, but it's not really a landline, so you can go ahead and get rid of it. it it's internet-based. So, you know, it's not really a landline. Because when your internet went down, that phone didn't work, remember? It's not like you have like a telephone. You know, it's not. It's not like what we had it's in the eighties. Not 80s. like Green Acres where they went up on the. Thing. <laughs> That's right. It's not yeah. quite like that. So. Remember they went up on the pole. Is that too? too no, I, I know what you're talking the about. The reference. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. went up on the pole to make a call. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you don't really have a landline. I hate to break it to you. So you're already off the hook a little bit. Nobody cares anymore. Off the hook. That was good. Yeah. Thank you very much. That was very good. That was <laughs> only I meant it. Yes. Very good. Anyway, yes. watch the Paul McCartney thing. If Paul you're McCartney music. on Hulu. Yeah. Okay. It, it, Tim and Rick Rubin. They have the master tapes, and it's so cool to watch them listen to it. And I have a new one for you. The, the Ronan. It's not. This is not Pee Wee Herman. No, it's not uh, Paul Rubens. It's not Paul Rubens. This would be Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Yes, musical okay. genius Rick Rubin. Okay. Yeah. All right. But I have a new one that I just finished called yeah. the Ronan. It's a. Know, it's called. Can't remember what it's called, but it's. A, remember Ronan Farrow? You know who that is? Mia yeah, Farrow's yeah, son. Yeah, I kind of do. And it's up can't in, picture him. It's up in the air whether his dad's Frank Sinatra or not. <laughs> Considering he looks exactly like Frank Sinatra with the big blue eyes. Really? But he says it's his, the math doesn't work out. I'm not okay. so sure. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. He's like this investigative journalist. If Ronan Farrow ever gives, sends you an email, oh, delete then, it then I don't, and move. <laughs> I'm telling you. He's like if Chris uh, Hansen. Chris Hansen shows up at your door. That's right. Yeah. If anyone <laughs> offers to make you uh, cookies and sweet tea, hit the bricks. <laughs> But cookies yeah. and sweet tea. <laughs> yeah, it's always cookies and sweet tea. I'd rather a boba tea, please. Yes, right. Yeah. Anyway, it's really good. And it, it talks about, he's, he's the one that broke the Harvey Weinstein story. Really? really? See, uh, I don't know. I thought he was, in, no, I'm not picturing him then. Okay. To, to say he broke it is, is everyone in Hollywood had been talking about Harvey Weinstein for years. Okay. I know that. Yeah. It was like an open secret, as they call right. it. Right. But nobody wanted to touch it because he was so powerful. Yeah. Like NBC literally killed Ronan's story. They said, no, we're not, we're not doing that. NBC. Even though NBC News has come out and said, why is everybody, why was everybody scared of Harvey Weinstein? Just because of, I, I understand that he was a, 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 you know, a movie mogul. Yeah, he was a big player. Of and, course, and like would, the biggest. But even the New York Times wouldn't do an. I mean, New York Times didn't back down from anyone back in the day. Anyway, I don't know about the Times. So Ronan, Ronan literally quit NBC and took his story to the New Yorker. And the New Yorker ran Finally it. Finally ran it. And that's what made it. But yeah. but you hear all the calls. I forgot. And that, that started everything, right? Yeah, that it started, started like. Bill Cosby. That started, I mean, that started everything. Well. The Me Too movement. It started the Me Too movement. Yeah. Bill Cosby had been around for a long time. Everyone just sort of knew he was a creep. Yeah. And then a, a comedian, I think it was Hannibal Burris, started talking about Cosby in his act. 
and like ripping him. Like, why are we all okay? We all know he did it. And that like, that's kind of what helped the investigation get going again. This oh. one comedian is like oh. responsible You're for Bill Cosby. You're on top of this stuff. Well, you know. If you only paid attention to golf. If I only watched sports. Senior golf. <laughs> yeah, it's senior golf. Anyway, it's really good. And I forgot okay. that they put a okay. wire on one of the women who was going to meet Harvey. I forgot oh, about that. They, they have audio of him like begging her to come in the hotel room. And Really? This isn't something for my 15-year-old son to watch? Uh, f- Piper's not hanging out with you watching this? This deal? No. no, sexual assault, and yeah. it's, it's kind of graphic. And no, I don't think it's for your your fifteen okay. year old son. It's episode one hundred and fifty two. I have an admission to make, a oh confession. Boy. Okay, we are recording this, and I was really at the last minute. I decided to actually bring this up on the show. Okay, typically we record these shows the night before they debut. Yeah. Sometimes even the morning that they debut, they are fresh, right? Fresh right out of the. We are actually recording this show for our Mitch Unfiltered fans out there. The night before the night before. Thank you, Pete. Because I have decided to get on my first plane ride in nearly two years. Do you remember where the airport is? Can you find your way there? I I picked people up. I picked my oh, wife okay. up. She's been she's been gone. I yeah. picked my my kids have flown. I have not gotten on an airplane since okay. before, you know what, mm-hmm. nineteen. And so I'm taking because my my wife is turning a magic number. She's having a magic birthday. Okay, and we were supposed to, as you recall, we were supposed to have a family trip to Europe. Our first trip. Oh, that's right. We were right. gonna have, we were. This is the time we were gonna be oh. three weeks in Italy and and France oh. and and London and Germany. We were going all over the place. Yeah. Because I said to her, "Where would you like to be on your <laughs> birthday?" I'm not yeah. allowed to say yeah, yeah. the number. She looks great on for your, thirty. On, uh, she she yeah, looks yeah. great for twenty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she said, "I want to be." I think I'm allowed to say this story. I said, "Where do you?" This is years ago. I said, "Where do you want to be on your <laughs> birthday?" Yeah. And she said, "I want to be in Lake Como, Italy." Well, she wants to see you know who. That's the only reason she <laughs> didn't right. want to be with me no, no, in no, Lake no. Como, Italy. She wants to catch a glance of uh, Mr. Clooney. Yeah. Yes, I want to be in <laughs> Lake Como, Italy, and yeah. I want to I want to have dinner with the Clooneys. Right. Okay. <laughs> Done. And I was like, I can do the Lake Como part, but yeah. I don't have any access to George Clooney. So we, we developed this entire trip. We had never done it as a family. I, I feel negligent having never taken my family really anywhere because I've been hiding underneath the, the desk. All this. So we had this huge planned oh. trip for right now. And then ultimately we had to cancel it or we, we decided to cancel. I guess we didn't have to cancel it, but it would have been, been a tough trip to take with all the different regulations and right. testing and quarantining and everything else. So I'm taking my wife on a little, just a little two or three day trip that we're leaving on the Sunday it's her birthday. T- it's her <laughs> birthday tomorrow. Oh, okay. So we're doing this on the night before, and I and I find the night before we normally do it, and I find myself swimming in a, in stress over this. Really? Yeah, because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that something is going to happen. <laughs> That we are going to need to talk about that would be on an episode that was released on Monday yeah. on the Sunday. You're going to land at the airport and it's going to say, right. Russell Wilson traded. Right. That's exactly that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I have this, this. I mean, it's going to ruin the entire trip. No, come on. And the truth is, I'm not only going for two or three days. We're doing this two weeks in a row. When we come back on Wednesday in time for 50, uh, 152P, yeah. which we'll have no guests, 152P, we're coming in back in time just to record that. Then I'm going back. I'm going to finally see my mother, oh. who I haven't seen. 
It's her birthday. She's turning 87 years old. So I'm doing it again, flying out on Sunday next week, which means we have to do it one more time, the Saturday night, the Saturday night recording. And so you might wonder, wonder why am I bringing this up? I didn't have to bring this up. You didn't have to say anything, Mitch. No one would have ever known. Well, you're covering yourself a bit, though. Well, I, I have decided to give you a list of requests that I have of things that... I don't want to happen on Sunday. Okay, okay. gotcha. So I've, I've, I've put together a list of requests, if All you right. don't mind, to start episode 152 officially. So here's my, my list of requests. Okay. Uh, Marco Gonzalez. Do you know, you know who Marco Gonzalez oh, is? Do I know? I yes. watched him pitch in person like a Please week ago. Please don't throw a no-hitter <laughs> on your start on Sunday. You've been shit up to this point. Oh. Please continue to be crappy on Sunday so we don't miss talking about a no-hitter. That's request number one. All right. Okay? Yes. Request number two. Russell Wilson. <laughs> I stepped on Please it. Please <laughs> don't get hurt oh. on Sunday. Yes. Okay? Please wait till Monday oh, or Tuesday no, no, to get wanna, hurt. No, no. Do not get hurt on Sunday. <laughs> All year. The show will have to cancel the show <laughs> if it's released on Monday and we're not talking about the injury to Russell Wilson, okay? All right. By the way, same for you, Bobby Wagner, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson. <laughs> Please, no injuries on Sunday. Now, I kid because they don't even, they don't even practice on right. Sunday. So yeah, they're not going to get – unless they get hurt, like, at their – Wherever they live, okay? Yeah, and by the way, you put Chris Carson on that list. All bets are off. I mean, let's face it. I mean, yeah. don't let that ruin your Request uh, trip. number three or four. This is to Jamal Adams. Please don't sign an extension on Sunday. <laughs> okay. Don't agree to an extension. Yeah. Don't sign. I love you as a player. Right. Please wait till Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday to sign your biggest contract in safety history. Okay. okay? I like it. All right. Next one. To John Schneider, the general manager. Yeah. Please don't trade for Dolphins disgruntled cornerback Xavier Howard, Ooh. thus making you a true Super Bowl contender on Sunday. <laughs> okay. okay? <laughs> Wait till Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday to trade for Xavier Howard. Okay. I like it. World records uh, at the Olympics, I'm fine with. You can anybody can break a world record. <laughs> okay. I won't talk about him anyway. All right. Um, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. Yeah. Please no fist fights on Sunday. Okay. Wait till Monday, <laughs> oh. Tuesday, or Wednesday because I would like to I would like to uh, talk about those things. So there's some bad blood between those oh, two? Oh, yeah. Very, very, very bad blood. Yeah, we've it, talked about it a lot of times. Can you Kep- got to pay attention, Scott. Can Kepka hang or is he not DeChambeau's size? Kepka would kill DeChambeau. He would? Yeah. Whoa. One guy's tough and one guy's not. Well, one guy's... Now got the, some beef, the, though. Yeah, the, the beefy guy has been getting thinner. People have not noticed. Oh, okay. He's getting thinner. And Kepka is <laughs> Kepka will kick his ass. <laughs> All right. But it. I don't want him to kick his ass until Monday. Gotcha. Fair enough. Sunday. Okay. All right. And final, final one. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. Yes. Please no awarding Seattle an NBA <laughs> expansion team on Sunday. Yes. Wait till Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday to award us our brand new NBA. Uh, actually, if you want to do it on Sunday. You can take it. That's the one I'm willing to go, right. go with. Yeah. I was going to say, Steve Dion's going to be busy calling all these people <laughs> with all of his demands. I'll tell you what. If, if Adam Silver... If Adam Silver grants Seattle an expansion team on Sunday, yeah. I will literally leave my wife on her birthday, fly back, <laughs> and do the thing with you, and then go back and see her. All right, fair okay. enough. Right. That's that's my uh, that's my spiel to start episode one fifty two. I like those it. are my requests. 
Yeah. Do you want to tell anyone where you're going with on your special trip, or do you not really want to mention it? I'm just curious. Oh, it's not, a, it's not a big deal. I was looking for a little place that we had never been to go for two or three days, but I didn't want to be away too long because I wanted to be back for the podcast and yeah. make sure that we got that covered. So we are going to a little area. I'm sure a lot of people have been there. I've never. You ever heard of Beaver Creek, Colorado? No. Never have. Yes, Beaver Creek, Colorado is like near Vail. It's like a it's like a ski resort. Yeah, no Vail. But during the summer times, these places are also very fun. Yep. They have lots of activities, lots of outdoor activities, lots of scenery Great. and scenic. So I'm just I just picked a place because yeah. I had to come up with something because it's her <laughs> birthday. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did yeah. do something. When you turn, <laughs> you got you got to do something. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. been said many times. Now, I haven't turned, <laughs> but yet. Yeah. I'm much younger. <laughs> much, yes. And this is <laughs> this is just you two, no kids. No kids. Oh, nice. This is the first time. And, and it's actually a funny story that uh, I'll let you in on because I think the listeners would appreciate this. So when we decided to cancel the Europe trip, yeah. France, Italy, England, Germany, the kids were all in on that trip. Ooh. They knew where they were going, right? We decided to cancel it. And now I turned to her and I said, let me just take you at least somewhere for your <laughs> birthday. Yeah. She's like, well... How do we break to the kids that they were going to like four countries for three weeks and now we're just going and we're leaving them home? And I said, let's try it. <laughs> I'm with we you. Have never, we have never left them home before by themselves. Oh, you haven't? Ever. Oh. Not overnight like this. Okay. We've not given them the house and whatever. Woo. And I got a freshman, I got a sophomore to be in, in college who likes to go out and yeah. Do whatever they do. That's right. So our house, God knows what's going to happen with our house. So she's like, no, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think they're going to be very distraught to hear that they they were going away and now the guys. Can you guys come over? Yeah, sure. So we're talking. We're thinking about going away, just the two of us, and and leaving you guys behind in the house. And yeah. you're going to have. How long can you go? <laughs> right. Exactly. I was thinking. Please the same. go tomorrow. Mom, we love you. But I mean, come on. No, there wasn't even that. <laughs> Please, yeah. just leave. Leave us alone. Well, they thought it was better and bigger than the than the Europe trip. Right. They would have chosen this over the Europe trip. <laughs> what do you mean, Big Ben? What do you mean? What, what, Eiffel Tower. I mean, yeah, I got the Lake house to Como, myself. Lake Como, George Clooney. I want the house. Yeah. Give me the house to myself. I, I should probably tell you this. And, Can uh, you stop by while we're gone and make sure... Well, that the, the party doesn't get out of get out get out of hand. Stop by. I mean, I, I should tell you, I, I did get an evite for a party next week on a Tuesday. <laughs> it's a little late on a weeknight, but I'm I will be here to make sure it doesn't get too oh, out of hand. Okay. Well, then we had to have a conversation that you and your wife haven't had yet. You probably will never have it with Piper. Maybe you will. Okay. But you know the whole. You know, what do we allow? What do we don't allow? Uh, yeah. Is he going to do it anyway? We don't want anybody getting in an accident. Right. We don't anybody, We don't know You're how on to the do hook. this. Yeah, I know. It's scary. We're talking to the authorities. What should we say? What should we do? We've actually reached out to Did people. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Which, like, you know, God forbid somebody comes over here We don't and, and right. gets in an accident on the way. There's just so much. We're like... We're going to be paralyzed with fear during these three days <laughs> yeah. that two things are going to happen. The Sonics are going to be awarded to Seattle and something's going to happen here. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to work yourself so we're, up we're, so much. We're really worried about that. So you're, you're just, you're probably not even going to go. You're going to work yourself up so much about what's going to happen when you're gone. You'll just yeah. get to the airport and just come right back. So I gave the two boys Now one is, one is 19. One's about to be 16 and there's a rivalry and they, they love each other, but they fight. And okay. I gave them the one rule, which I love, which is now the one, here's the one rule. Okay. Neither one of you can do anything in the house or invite anybody over 
without the other's permission. Ah. But so see, now each one of them has veto rights. And the little one is like, oh, baby, <laughs> I got veto rights. But he's like a nice kid. He's not going to get in the way of his brother, is he? The little Okay. <laughs> he loves the veto rights. Really? He oh. will parlay the veto rights into something for him. Trust me. Max is, I'm an adult. What are you talking about, <laughs> kid? I can do whatever I want. Yeah, I don't know. This That 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 may be trouble. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, so when I was in high school, I lived with just my dad for a couple of years. My yeah. mom moved out. And right. I, I wasn't into party. So my point is, my dad completely trusted me. I had no curfew because he just kind of knew. We the, don't have any curfew. Yeah. So We're you kind of know we, who we, your we, kids we, are, right? I mean, they're nice yeah, kids. Yeah. That doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. Yeah. And certain mistakes, you, you know, you don't want them to make as, as nice of kids as you think they are and as grounded as you think they are and knowing right from wrong as you think they are. Kids are still kids. Yeah. And you don't want them to make that one mistake that is one that you can never live with for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's the issue. Okay. I'm not worried about the little mistakes. I'm worried about somebody getting hurt. Right. And I don't want anybody getting hurt on my on my watch. Anyway. Right. So. So we're a little concerned about that, but this is the first time. It's the first time. The house is theirs. Uh, the food's there. She's downstairs right now cooking like, I'm like, we're going away for three days. They're just going to, they're just going to, she's, I got to cook Tuesday night's meal. Hey, this is Wednesday afternoon's lunch. Right, this right, right. This is Tuesday oh, morning's God. breakfast. Yeah. I'm like, she's going to the store and buying, putting notes all over the uh, house, you know, the whole thing. I, I <laughs> saw the Costco do. run she went on before he went away to college. Like. It's surprising he's not 300 pounds, that kid. I mean, won't stop feeding little, him. Little, little, uh, little uh, sticky notes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's some, here's some healthy choices. Oh, <laughs> you realize he lives alone, right, essentially? <laughs> like nine months out of the year, he somehow manages to get food. Oh. I think they'll be okay. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe, right. maybe I'll just kind of do a drive-by just, yeah. just to see if just a mannequin comes ho- flying out of the or window. Or if the house is still, <laughs> it's still there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, God. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. All I have in my mind is like, uh, what's the Vince Vaughn movie? Uh, well, there's a lot. The college. The college uh, oh, old school. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where old- he hired Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I got old school in my mind. You hired Snoop Dogg. Look, I'm worth $2.5 million the government knows about. You think I'm going to hire a college alt-rock band for this? Come on. I love that movie. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, that's that. All right. Anyway. Um, yeah, I guess we, in the first segment, we should talk about, uh, I don't know what we want to talk about. We could do Seahawks training camp first weekend. Well, people have been here. hitting me up about the Mariners, too. People are on fire. The Mariners, the Mariners. you want to do the Mariners? Yeah. We, could, we can skip the Seahawks and come back to the Seahawks. Well, the Mariners are winning baseball games, and, and they're in the process of playing a baseball game as we speak, Yep. Uh, which isn't typically the case. They had an interesting week. We talked a lot about this on 151P where they made the trade right after one of the most gratifying come-from-behind wins in the history or at least in the last 15 years of the team, the Grand Slam home run yeah. by, Dylan, by Dylan Moore. The right. night after I was there. I missed it by one game. Right after that, to celebrate, he traded. Jerry DePoto traded one of the most popular bullpen yeah. guys. <laughs> that was the way he celebrated, yeah. and everybody was pissed at him and so forth. By the way, a good follow on Twitter is yeah. Kyle Seeger's wife. Oh, really? I think her name might be Julie. Julie Seeger? Don't hold me to that, but yeah. his wife, Yeah, she says some pretty funny stuff on there, and I think she said something about that trade and then deleted it because then she just sent out the emoji of the zipper across the mouth. So I think she's she lets it fly. Yeah. And she said something funny. She said, this is, this is living on the edge as a Major League Baseball player's wife. I'm doing a Costco run on the draft deadline because he could be gone the next day and she's buying all this food for the house. So I thought that was kind of funny. Well, Kendall Graveman <laughs> is the guy. Yeah. And he had pitched in that game on Monday 
where they uh, they came from behind and won the uh, yep. won the game on a grand slam home run, and then he was traded the next day, and everybody was mad. The players were mad. The fans were mad. How can you do this? How can you trade your best bullpen guy? And Jerry said, just wait. Wait till the deadline. See what else we're going to do. This is not just in a vacuum. We're going to do other things that might explain it. Well, he did. Now, I'm assuming that he had this plan and he didn't just quickly go out and go get some vegetables or something really, really quickly <laughs> because he saw everybody was pissed. He went out and he got a guy by the name of Diego Castillo. Yes. From uh, from the Tampa Bay Rays, their closer, who the Seattle Mariners now have club control over for the next three years. He has 14 saves. He's got comparable numbers to Graveman. Graveman's ERA is out of the out of this world, so nobody's ERA is as good. But okay. this guy's really good. He has pitched in the postseason. He has pitched in the World Series. He has he has good. some legitimate experience, and I guess he's going to become the new Mariners closer. So now it doesn't make the Kendall Graveman thing look too bad. On the flip side, on the flip side, the the trading deadline came and went back on. I guess it would have been Friday, and they didn't do anything else. And he announced on some radio show that he had been approached. There was a lot of interest. He was he was wheeling and dealing for some bigger names, some hitters, some pitchers, whatever. Yeah. And, and they everybody wanted, you guessed it, Kalnick and Rodriguez mm. or Gilbert yeah. or Kirby or Emerson Hancock. Their, their prize prospects, which has, has led to their organization being ranked in the top five or six in all of Major League Baseball. Yeah. But he wasn't trading those guys. Okay. And so the teams that won, he could have gotten the starter for the Minnesota Twins that was available and got traded, who would have been probably their number one starter or number two starter for the next wow. year and a half. But he, but they wanted, they wanted Julio Rodriguez or whomever. Right. So he decided, which I, by the way, agree with for now. Yeah. That they're not close. I don't think, even though they're seven, eight, nine games over 500, I don't think they're legitimate enough offensively to go trade one of those big name prospects now for a, a guy to come in because I don't think they're going to go anywhere uh, this year anyway and probably next year. It doesn't but, feel like they're a starter away from no, making a big run, so no, why mortgage no, no. the future a bit? But here's the thing. When you think about it, when you think about it, there's really going to be no way to get to the level of these teams spending two hundred. The Dodgers, right? I know spending two hundred and seventy-five, two hundred eighty million, three hundred million. They're spending eighty-five, ninety million. The Seattle Mariners. The tr the truth of the matter is, while I agree with Depoto for not doing it now, there's no way to get there as the Mariners. You can't get there until such time as you trade, you're going to have to trade one or two of those guys, right. ultimately. It's just maybe not now that you do it. Maybe it's this coming off season or next year at the deadline. Because because otherwise, you can get to be, unless they're going to get, those. there's just no way they're going to get good enough offensively to be able to be a serious, like, World Series contender yeah. without bringing in some huge, unless they're going to all, all of a sudden, like during the offseason, decide, all right, we're going to spend $100 million this offseason in free agency, which they're not going to do. Right. So on their payroll of $90 million, ultimately they're going to have to trade one or two of those guys, and that's going to be a painful day when that happens because they'll probably go somewhere else and be oh, of course superstars. <laughs> yeah, right, that's how that works. And you'll probably get somebody who you don't even – doesn't ever pan out because right. that's the way it happens in Seattle. But you're going to have to take a shot, I think. And you explained actually – nicely on the last episode uh depoto's point of view on on the trade that they probably they didn't want to get caught getting nothing for him right didn't you, you explained all that about he, well kendall I mean, graveman is a former starter 
who was just a so-so starter, and yeah. then he went to the bullpen and just hit, clicked. For whatever and reason, it, yeah. Just at least for this year. We don't know. And he's his contract is up, yep. so he's going to parlay, as he should, that into something special for him and his family, whatever that is. Three years, $30 million, three years, whatever it is. And whatever they think he's going to get on the open market as a, as a bona fide reliever now, they're probably not going to want to spend that on that position. Right. So they are thinking, okay – is there a way for us to manipulate this where we trade him and make a couple of trades? And, and what they ended up doing is they essentially swapped him out, a guy, him, a guy who's expiring at the end of the season, yeah. for this guy Castillo, who they have club control over for the next three years and is very good. Right. Yeah. And actually has more of a track record than Graveman. Graveman has just been great this year yeah. as a closer. We don't know whether this has staying power. This guy has been really good, I'd say. Not great. Really good for a couple of years, including some big like playoff and American League Championship Series and stuff like that. So as pissed off as people were. When it's you, okay now. When you hear that side of it, yes. Right. It, it kind of makes a little more sense. Because they brought back a guy for Graveman, not this guy. They, the guy they brought back from Graveman, the main guy in that trade, was a util- was a kind of a utility player for the Astros who was once the Astros' like fifth best prospect, but in his three years in Major League Baseball hasn't been able to hit 200, oh. which I, of course, joked makes him perfect for the Seattle Mariners. He might lead him. Fits right in. <laughs> lead him in the average. Yeah, lead him in the average. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... That's the that's the answer to the story. All right. So we're at the uh, we're past the trading deadline. They're still winning games. Yeah. I think it's a nice story. I don't buy it. Still don't buy no, it. No. Is don't it the buy smoke it. or the mirrors? Which part are you having trouble with? I'm not buying any of it. <laughs> okay. I look in that little mirror and I see myself as a seven foot five. You know the carnival. Oh mirror? yeah, sure. Yeah. I hated the one that made you fatter. Who I, I didn't need that. <laughs> I don't need that. I need, find me that slimming one. That's the one. I, I've seen the future. That's what uh, I want to be right there. And just <laughs> come on. Why did you have that on? Um, and just as we are recording the unreal. story of Diego Castillo, this will prove to you that we are recording on Saturday <laughs> night. He gives up a two-run home run in the bottom of the, what is it, the extra inning. In his first go-around as the Seattle mayor, again. Oh, this guy's got playoff experience. Well, this isn't a playoff game. He doesn't care about this game. God. We just got done talking about how. The first time he goes out on the mound, he gives up a game-winning, a game-losing two-run home run. I mean, the 91 miles just right over the plate. (laughs) As soon as he hit it, I went, no, uh, that's that's out. I mean, wow. Oh, God. Against the Rangers. There you go. It's all right. All right. Maybe, maybe you're right. You said you don't, you don't buy it. That, that, that comment is aging nicely. <laughs> All right. Three interviews, and, and, and I will say it again what I said during the tease section, which is Charlie Plum. I yep. know it's a long interview. It's, it's interview number one. If you have not heard my conversation with the former uh, Vietnam War prisoner of war in mm-hmm. Hanoi, you've got to hear his story. He will move, even if you're the most emotionless guy in the in the universe. He will move you. His story and his outlook on life will will move you. So get on a treadmill, go for a walk, go for a ride. You gotta hear. Just trust yeah. me on this. And if you don't like it, if I if I've given you a, a false sense of what's good, yeah. then money back. Your money back. <laughs> it's money good. back guarantee. Can't miss. Okay. Here's Daniel's CEO Lindsey Schwartz. Lindsey, what can you tell us about Daniel's broiler? 
Yeah, Mitch, we're super excited to be at 100% capacity finally. The summertime's always a great time of year for us, so, so it's a really exciting time. Now we just need more people to come to work now that we've got the expanded <laughs> demand. We need we need more team members. Now hold on a second. I hear you have a, a new all-star busboy at the Bellevue location named Movie Mogul Max. How's he doing? And tell us a little bit about, more importantly, the positions that you have available and how people go about applying for those positions. Yeah, you know, Max is doing a, a great job, and everybody likes him, which is surprising, <laughs> you know, based on who his dad is. But, uh, yeah, he's doing great, and, yeah, we need more hardworking people like him out there. We've got lots of opportunities at every location, whatever people want to do. There's jobs in the kitchen, front of house, servers, bartenders, bussers, front desk. So, really, it's anything, and, and we've got part-time, full-time, looking for people who just want to come and uh, get some shifts during the summer or make a career with us. Anything goes right now. Danielsbroiler.com. And tell us about the old-fashioned mixer on Amazon. How's that doing? And I understand there's maybe an expansion of sorts. Yeah, it's been amazing the success that we've had with the old-fashioned mixer on Amazon these past few months. And uh, we're launching three more varieties, a whiskey sour, a Kentucky mule, a lavender martini. Those should all be up on Amazon any minute if they're not already. And uh, also, you'll be able to now find them on the shelves at all of the QFC stores. Okay, so great news from Daniels Broiler. And they are looking to hire for all positions, full-time and part-time positions. Go to danielsbroiler.com and click the employment tab we love daniels broiler a world-class steakhouse unfiltered what's the message you'll never be prisoners of war you'll never have to face that kind of drama but you will have challenges in your life that's part of life the stress, the adversity, and I'm convinced that adversity is a horrible thing to waste. That there's value in every experience in life. To say our first guest of this episode 127 has lived an amazing life, I think would be doing him a disservice. Graduated from the Naval Academy, piloted 74 successful combat missions over North Vietnam. Then just five days before the end of his tour, on mission number 75, his already remarkable life took a turn that would have been the undoing of just about everyone else. Here's author, motivational speaker, true life hero, silver star, the bronze star, two purple hearts, legion of merit, the POW medal, Captain Charlie Plum on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Did I miss anything? No, just like my mother wrote that. You, you did a great job. <laughs> Your mother from Indiana, the farm in Indiana. Is that right, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, what a great privilege it is for us to hear your story. A farm kid in the 1950s from Indiana. You always wanted to fly even as a young boy, Charlie. I did. I was fascinated, but I never thought I'd ever have the opportunity of even riding in an airplane. And of course, when I first went to the Naval Academy, I'd never seen the ocean. I'd never ridden in an airplane. Certainly never been aboard a ship. Uh, so I was kind of a hayseed from the Midwest. When did it become flying an airplane to protecting our country and being a part of our armed 
our armed services, our armed forces? Well, I was a pretty, um, pretty patriotic kid, you know, Boy Scout and uh, marched in the band and all that stuff. So I, I was, and of course, my father was from the greater generation. And so um, I, you know, I was a flag waver from the beginning. Mm -hmm. The pilot, the pilot start, uh, part of pilot interest didn't really start until I got into the Naval Academy and they started telling me what the options might be. You went to the Naval Academy and you and I have uh, texted back and forth. You know that we're a sports podcast primarily. You went to the Naval Academy with a guy by the name of Roger, the Dodger Staubach, didn't you? I did, in fact. What, what a great guy. In fact, I'm standing here looking at a picture that I took of Roger um, and, he, and he had this, my photograph put into a, a, a work of art by an artist. It's, a, it's an oil painting uh -huh. of uh, number 12. Wow. Uh, getting, getting set, ready to, to throw a pass. Uh, so, yeah, I, I followed him. Uh, he was a, a year behind me at the Naval Academy. I was 64. He was 65. And then the F-4 Phantom Jet and the Aardvarks. Tell us the story, Charlie. Well, I joined the squadron uh, in uh, Miramar, California, helped, helped start the Top Gun School out there. Mm -hmm. The F-4 Phantom was the hottest airplane in the world at the time. We had the, the speed records, the time to climb records. I mean, I, I was really at the top of my, I was 23 years old when I went through uh, training of that F-4 Phantom. And then they asked me to do the impossible, land the thing on an aircraft carrier. <laughs> <laughs> the, the F-4, you know, was uh, was originally built for the Navy, and then the Air Force liked it so much that it, they ended up buying about twice as many Air F-4s. But 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 I was always intrigued by the F the Air Force F-4 that had a tail hook on the back. Mm -hmm. You know that the Air Force guys had these runways that twelve thousand feet long. Mine was three hundred feet long. What were the first seventy-four missions like? I've heard you describe it in many interviews. You were young, you were aggressive, you were confident, you were bulletproof. No close calls in those first 74? Oh, I had a couple of, uh, of MiG fights. I had, you know, had a little bit of, uh, of combat experience with them. I'd been hit before by flak artillery mm -hmm. from the ground. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, I'd been shot at with missiles. Uh, several times, so there were some some close calls. I, I brought I brought that airplane back uh, with a bunch of holes in it a number of times, and but you know five days from the end of my tour, and I'd escaped all of those tragedies, and we'd lost about a fourth of our squadron, pilots and uh, killed or captured, uh, and uh, you know I had escaped all that. In fact, I never remember. I remember the night before I was shot down. We had a little uh, conference in the ready room, you know, a bunch of telling lies and and, and laughing and scratching. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the guys was kind of a technocrat. He he would show up with his handheld computer. Uh, he had prefigured the probability that any one of us would be shot down and captured the next day. Wow, real popular guy. <laughs> so. so <laughs> So so he so he shows up that night and um and what, he, what were the numbers what were the well <laughs> I, no no he he had me pretty well you know you know he'd say hey Fred you know you got a point oh nine six Charlie you're looking pretty good or no three three and so we laughed uh -huh. and laughed about this because it was a joke you know that yeah. any of us would be shot down and captured the next day well I don't know why the conversation took a a real serious turn and we began asking each other hey. What if you get shot down and captured tomorrow? What if you get shot to a man? As I recall, there were seven macho, young, virile, bulletproof fighter pilots admitted to the other six. 
hey guys, I've heard about the treatment, the disease, the torture. If I'm shot down and captured tomorrow, just send my stuff home because it's a mountain too high to climb. Mm. Every one of us the night before I was captured thought that it was, you know, it was just going to be so terrible that uh, we'd never make it. Mm. And then May 19th. So that would have been May 18th. That was the 18th of May. And this is the May 19th, 1967. By the way, I was six weeks old on May 19th, 1967. <laughs> is it is it a horrific memory or have you been able to somehow flip it around? Tell us how vivid that day is and what you can recall about the day that your life changed. The memory is vivid, uh, but it's certainly not terrible. You know, I mean, I, I'm a very positive guy, and I look at every experience in life and try to find the silver lining, and there were certainly, you know, certainly advantages to what I went through. But that day, they had, were planning an alpha strike. This is the the biggest thing we could do. Mm-hmm. An alpha strike was sanctioned by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Three aircraft carriers and five Air Force bases, and we were all descending on the same targets in um, in North Vietnam. So it was a big time deal. And so I had to get up and, you know, get dressed, get my flight suit on, brief for this thing. And the target, our particular target was just south of Hanoi, the capital city, right. which at the time was the most heavily defended city in the world. And we knew that. And uh, we'd been close before, but we've never we'd never been allowed to get inside this buffer zone of about a 30 mile ring around Hanoi. Uh, so this is going to be a big deal. My particular job, see, the F-4 Phantom had a dual role. We could carry uh, missiles. The thing was designed as a high-altitude supersonic interceptor. We were to intercept other airplanes. But the, the wizards, you know, <laughs> McDonnell Douglas, found out they could hang a bunch of bombs and rockets and, on the bottom of that airplane, and we could, we'd make a bomber out of us, too. So we, were, we had a dual role of, of fighter and bomber. And this particular day, I was in a fighter role, so I only had missiles to shoot down other enemy airplanes. My job was to protect the bomb group. Mm-hmm. And I was out on the edge of, um, of the formation. My backseat, my radar intercept officer picked up uh, an enemy airplane, and at least we thought it was an enemy airplane. Uh, and I eased out of the formation to try to go after this presumed MiG that was coming in, you know, coming right into our formation. This is a big formation. We had. Let's see, we had probably 30 or 40 airplanes, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, as far as you could see, uh, airplanes. And I'm on the, the left side of this formation. I ease out to the edge to go after this MiG. Well, the rules of engagement at the time was you had to visually identify another airplane before you were cleared to shoot. And so I had to get close enough to this enemy to see it before I could shoot, which was a bit of a problem with this airplane because your missiles weren't any good within uh, three or four miles. Didn't give the missile a chance to to home in on the target. You were so close. So I moved out to the edge. When I saw the airplane that I'd been tracking, I saw that it was our own airplane. It was an A6 intruder that was actually jamming the missile sites that were tracked on us from the ground. I was now outside his ability to jam the missiles that were coming up against the formation. So anyway, so I took a hit uh, from the rear. I felt the explosion, just barely felt it. All of my instruments started turning red and uh, 
I lost the engines, lost all the hydro hydraulic pressure, all my controls, and so everything went dead. So you eject? I ejected, my co-pilot ejected, and our parachutes opened, and we made a 90-second transition from king of the skies to scum of the earth. And they were shooting at you in the meantime, I understand it, which obviously wasn't necessary. They could have just waited for you to land. <laughs> yeah, they could have. I thought that was kind of unfair, you know. <laughs> they just they just knocked down my multi-gazillion dollar airplane. Now they're shooting at the pilot. <laughs> and so down you go into the rice fields. And, yep. and, and uh, they, they are awaiting your arrival. They are patiently awaiting your arrival. You were surrounded <laughs> by how many? Uh, there must have been 40 or 50. And these were all peasants. You know, these uh, these were just farmers out there with their hoes and sighs and, and rifles. Uh -huh. And um, I had a 38 revolver at the time, but uh, it, I was just no match for, mm -hmm. for them. And I decided there's just no way I could do it. Uh, on the way down, I had taken out my two-way radio uh, and called uh, called my squadron and said, hey, don't worry about me. You'll see you at the end of the war. And uh, I told them not to try a rescue. I tore the antenna off my radio and, that was it. and tossed the antenna one way and the, and the radio the other. What did you think was in store for you at that moment? Do you remember even thinking about what's to come? Yeah. Well, first of all, as I'm floating down in that parachute, I'm looking for a way to escape. You know, I'm looking at hedgerows. I'm looking at uh, water. I'm trying to memorize everything that I'm looking at uh, because I'm, you know, I'm in the escape mode now. Yeah. I also feel like I was probably in shock. You can't prepare yourself for a situation like that. It's just, you know, it's so... I don't know, so violent and so out of anything you've ever done. It was tough to even imagine myself in that situation. Two straight days of torture after reaching Hanoi. Share some of the uh, atrocities. It wasn't supposed to be that way because they had signed the Geneva Treaty. Well, I don't know where, I forget the name of the treaty that prohibited them from mistreatment of uh, prisoners of war, but they, they obviously went against that. How about those two days? Yeah, it was, they had signed the Geneva Convention and they were signatories, but, uh, you know, just, just like most things in politics and in international politics is that they define things differently. And they decided that we were not prisoners. I was never called a prisoner of war in Vietnam oh. uh, by the enemy. They called me a war criminal because there had been no war declared. And so I had crossed the borders into their country. And so I was a war criminal. And they, they told us all that we'd be tried at the end of, of the war and, and many of us would be executed. That's how they got around the, the torture bit. I was tortured for two days, mostly... Um, Military information, but even more than that, political propaganda. It was really, really interesting that their whole focus was to get propaganda from us. They wanted us to write letters to the president and, and the Congress and the senators and, and uh, tell them how wonderful communism was and how terrible capitalism was. And, wow. And that's why they tortured you? Yep. Really? Yep. yep. Guys were tortured to make tapes about the good treatment wow. yeah it was, it was a it was a crazy time and kind of you know tough to adjust to something like that to figure what what's going on here what's the rope trick charlie uh the rope trick was the main type of torture that they used for us where they bind your ankles together and your wrists behind your back and then they run a, a rope from 
your wrist up over your back down to your ankles. And then they, they put a stick of bamboo in there and they, they twist and tighten up this rope. The end result is your ankles, your feet are right up in your face uh. and your wrists are actually on top of your head. In fact, I remember looking up uh, and seeing my wrists backwards top of my head. Of course, by this time, my shoulders are out of joint. So I'm just wrapped up like a human pretzel. At this point, do you ever think you'll see your family again? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, as they say, I'm always positive about these things and it hurt a lot, but I... You thought you'd live to see it, huh? Yeah, I, I, there was never, in the 2,103 days that I was there, I never, ever thought that I was going to die in Vietnam. 2,100, you just went through that number too fast. 2,000, you were... 103. 2,103 days, six years, essentially, an 8 by 8 cell... It wasn't always in the eight by eight. That was the first cell, the average cell. Some cells were bigger, some cells were smaller. And uh, I was not always in solitary confinement. They, uh, they gave me a roommate. In fact, at one point I had three roommates in an eight foot by eight foot cell. Oh my God. That gets pretty close. Oh my God. Name, rank, serial number, and date of birth. Explain to our audience what that means. That's uh, it's called the code of conduct. And that's what we were allowed to give to the enemy. And nothing more the name rank. No matter the torture, no matter yep. the treatment, you were yep. only allowed to give to the enemy name, rank, serial number, date of birth. And yet it's impossible. And you had to give more and you felt a lot of guilt about that. I did, as a matter of fact. Uh, and um, the torture was just too painful. And while I went in there thinking I was a bulletproof and that I could take the torture, uh, I just I fell short. And, uh, and and I really did. I I, I mean, I, pay, I paced that silly cell three steps one way and three steps the other and thinking to myself, how can I ever go back to my family and admit that I had failed so miserably in my mission? Uh. And how can I ever face my fellow fighter pilots? Yeah, it was I was uh, in a state of depression. Uh, I, you know, I just I felt very guilty about what I had done. Of course, you didn't know what the other fighter pilots were doing at the same time. Exactly right. And, I, you know, I felt that the other, you know, everybody else probably was stronger than I was and probably older and more mature and had stuck with the name rank show never date of birth. Your paths crossed with John McCain at that point for the second it, time, correct? John was my flight instructor in Meridian, Mississippi. He taught me to fly jets. I also went to the Naval Academy with his brother, Joe. Joe, Joe McCain uh, was in my, my class at the Naval Academy. And I'd served under his father, uh, Admiral J.S. McCain. So, I, you know, I knew the McCain family and I knew John. Five months after I was shot down, he was shot down. And in fact, I was the first guy to, to recognize that he was in that camp. I was peeking through a crack in my cell door. I could see the personnel gate. In, uh, in, in that prison camp. And I could, a, a guy came through the gate on a stretcher, uh, just bloody rags on top of the stretcher. I couldn't see his face. In fact, about all I could see was an arm hanging over the edge of the stretcher and it was green and gray. I thought yeah. the guy might be dead. They tossed him in cell number three. I was in cell one and I got a hold of the guys next door in cell two and said, better get hold of this guy because he's hurting and you might not make it. And they tried. The only reason we knew he was even alive was that bloody rags kept coming out of the cell, you know, about every day. And then into the camp comes a pair of clippers, the old hand 
and shears. Mm-hmm. That was always bad news. That meant that a prisoner was going to be cleaned up to see a delegation. That was another thing they did. They would torture a guy to see some of the anti-war uh, element, you know, the Jane Fondas and the Ramsey Clarks and those anti-war folks. Mm-hmm. They would clean a guy up. And the first indication was always uh, the, those clippers. They took the clippers into cell number three, the new guy that we still didn't know who he was. The next day, I'm peeking through my crack in the door. I can see outside of cell three, the biggest pile of white hair. Well, you know, we were all in our 20s, 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 early 30s. And and nobody had was prematurely gray. And and I'm looking at that hair. I'm thinking it's only one guy in the Navy I know. It's got hair like that. I'm afraid my old flight instructor has been shot down. John McCain. The next day, I'm going towards the sewer house where we dumped our buckets. I let the guard get ahead of me, and as I passed cell three, I whistled anchors away. And when I came back past cell three, very, very faintly, I could hear from inside that cell, John McCain whistling anchors away back to me. Charlie, talk to us about how things took a turn for the better and how what seemed very hopeless, even for a a positive thinker like yourself, I, I have read and listened to you on occasion. You talk about something called prison thinking. And then you also, I mean, the communication skills between you and your brethren somehow, some way learning to communicate. That was a real, those two things were real game changers for you. Well, they really are. And what if this prison thinking was a term that the guy in the cell that, that passed a, a little wire, like a coat hanger, across the storeroom and into the hole in my cell wall. He, he taught me about prison thinking. And, and the whole point was that my restriction was not the eight feet between the walls in that prison cell. My restriction was the eight inches between my ears. This was a mental game. I had to learn to play this game. So uh, we, we found that communication was just vital and we used every possible opportunity to communicate because it was against camp regulations. Guys were tortured if they were found communicating with any other prisoner. But we got really creative. I mean, it was just phenomenal the ways that we learned to communicate. We could tap on walls, tug on wires. One of the more sophisticated one was was uh, a code we devised when we found that that the enemy, but most of them had uh, tuberculosis and they'd always uh, coughing and spitting and we could go around coughing and spitting and uh, we couldn't whisper a word, but we could cough and spit and they didn't care. So we we made a code out of these silly guttural noises, (laughs) various combinations of cough, sneezes, spits or wheezes would be represented, you know, to meet various uh, letters of the alphabet or abbreviations. Wake up in the morning, hear the, the guys in the cell next door go, and that means, good morning, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Let me ask what, what's got to be a silly question, but I'll ask it anyway because it comes to mind. Did you ever smile in those oh, six yeah. years? Were you, able oh. to, were you able to laugh? Were you able to smile? Were you able to keep your wits about you? Absolutely. No, as a matter of fact, early on, we figured that, you know, we could, cry about this situation uh, and bitch and moan about it, or we could laugh about it. And so we found all kinds of ways to laugh. We, um, you know, in our communications, one of the big things we did was tell jokes to each other, tell, make up stories uh, for each other, make up limericks. 
And so it, now we, uh, I remember, believe it or not, and that I remember in that prison camp laughing so hard and my stomach hurt. No, we, you know, first of all, you know, we're just a bunch of fighter pilots. Everybody, well, nearly everybody in the prison camp was a fighter pilot. You know, we all had funny stories and jokes to tell, and and, uh, uh, and 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 we played jokes on each other, and we played jokes on the guards, and uh, so yeah, no, no, we we smiled a lot. Charlie, what do you remember about February twelfth, nineteen seventy three? Twelfth of February, nineteen seventy three was a release date, uh, the first release of the prisoners. I was in the second release, but Feb twelfth was when we found out for sure that we were going home. We'd Can been, you imagine? What did that feel like? Well, first of all, we were sort of in disbelief. We'd been tricked several times. You know, They would uh, feed us a little bit better, and then they'd call us and say, hey, you're going home, you're going home. And all you have to do is sign this confession. You know, well, we were really reluctant to, to even believe that it was coming true. They brought in a piece of wrapping paper and put it on the, on the floor of their prison cell and told us to step on it. And they traced around our foot. We didn't know why. They were going to make some leather shoes for us. You know, we, we hadn't had a pair of shoes, uh-huh. you know, for six years. And suddenly they're going to make some shoes. That was sort of the first indicator. Then the 12th of February, they brought in some trousers with a real zipper. <laughs> I ran that zipper up and down. I couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen a zipper in six years. <laughs> oh, the little things. Oh. Yeah, yeah the, yeah, the little things in life. By this time, with our communication, uh, I mean, it was so strong, and our leadership was so strong that we had our own set of rules in the prison, and one of them was the order in which we were to go home that we were going to to make sure that the sick and injured guys got out of there, the guys that need an American American medical medical care. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the enlisted, there were a few, very few enlisted guys. And then the officers by date of shoot down, the guys that are in there the longest got to go home first. And that made a lot of sense. Well, the 12th of February came and they decided they were going to decide who was going to be released first. They were going to release the healthiest guys who were the guys who were shot down just in the last few weeks or months were still fat (laughs) and healthy. They're going to send those guys and then they're going to send the rest of them. And so the planes were there to take us home. Treaties had been signed and we were to go. And we said, no, we're not leaving this camp until you send the sick and injured guys home and then the enlisted guys and then the officers by shoot down date what percentage made it out of the prisoners of war uh there were there were about 1600 uh guys shot down and known to be alive on the ground there were 591 of us came home Mm -hmm. that statistic is somewhat skewed because most of the guys who died after they were alive on the ground died on the trip into hanoi the war was uh, all over North Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia, and there was a lot of jungle and a lot of mountains. And sometimes these guys would be shot down, and it would take months. It would take two or three months to drag them into the, the formal prison camp in Hanoi. A lot of us were injured while they were, you know, bringing us in. And in fact, that was one of the fortunate, fortunate things of, of, of my shoot down was I was I was shot down in the, the skirts of Hanoi, the capital city. And it was just a 
two-hour Jeep ride for me. Mm-hmm. But some of the guys were shot down yeah. hundreds of miles away. Yeah. And so we lost a lot of the guys mm-hmm. just on the trip into the camp. The world is painfully aware of the mental challenges, Charlie, that face our great military heroes upon their return home. I, I can't and I won't even begin to imagine what a 30-year-old man felt in 1973, I think you were about 30, 29, 30. Yep, I was 30. After being an Hanoi prisoner for six years, how did you adjust to the world? How did you, how did you uh, accept being back? Well, first of all, there were a lot of changes between 1966 and 1973. When you go through changes like that a day at a time, you don't really recognize the change. But having been shot down like Rip Van Winkle and not knowing what was going on in the States. Because, see, we we never knew, you know, who won the World Series, who, who even was the president uh, at the time. And in fact, a lot of us said we were really interested in, in the, the astronaut program. They, they gave us some, this propaganda, you know, from uh, the, the Russian news primarily. A lot of the guys wouldn't even read it. I found that if you don't read something for a few months, you, you, you lose the ability to read. It's, I mean, it's kind of amazing. You, you look at a word and you're not sure what that word says because you hadn't seen a word for, for months. And so I continue to read this propaganda. Well, at the headlines of one of these um, newspapers, it said, the Soviet Union finally beats the United States in the space race. Uh, it said, not since Sputnik 1. Has Russia been farther ahead? We've sent vehicle to the moon, gathered samples, taken pictures, blasted off, returned to Earth. And unlike the United States, we didn't have to put a man aboard to control the vehicle. And that was the first we knew. And this is like six months after the first the moon landing that we'd uh, put a man on the moon. You came home to find your young bride had filed for divorce a year earlier, not knowing if she'd ever see you again. It was tough on the ladies. In fact, I think in, in a lot of ways, it was more difficult for the, uh, the wives than it was for us. You know, we knew we were alive. We were confident we were going home. You know, we felt like we were pretty normal and we were going to be better than ever. Our wives didn't know from day to day if we were alive or dead. Mm-hmm. If we ever came home, would we want to be married to them or would they have to take, you know, be our caregiver for the rest of our lives if we were injured or, or mentally deranged? The government didn't help very much either. They had a graphologist, as a matter of fact. We, we got to write letters home. I guess I was there for three years or three or four years. And uh, treatment started to improve and uh, we got to write letters home. They had this graphologist that interpreted my letter to my wife saying that I was deranged, you know, that I'd been in this prison cell and, and it was not normal anymore and that I would probably have to be institutionalized when I came home. And so this, this war on my ex-wife, and in fact, I have a brother 10 years younger than I. He would go over, and we look a lot alike, he would go over to mow her lawn and she would break out in hives, serious emergency room hives, just seeing him because he was, he looked like me and it was at the age when, when we met. Mm. Um, and so it was tough on the ladies, but she fell in love. And, and uh, when I came home, she had filed for divorce. I, I remember laying in that hospital bed in, uh, in Chicago um, after I'd found out because I'd planned the rest of my life around her. You know, that was one of the things I did was I, I would sort of mentally escape an hour a day just to plan my life around her. 
all of that didn't, you know, didn't come true. Uh, so I'm saying, okay, what am I going to do now? All these plans I had made. Yeah. So it was a, you know, it, it was a challenging time. But then back to my positive thinking, <laughs> now, wait a minute, I've just overcome survived, even thrived through this nearly six years as a prisoner of war, you know, this, this little bump in the road is not going to hurt. So, uh, you know, pick up your boots, boy, let's get on with it. You said over and over and over again, adversity is a terrible thing, dot, dot, dot. To waste. I believe in every experience in life, there's good news and bad news. You know, lots of times we think that the tragedies of life are all bad and things that we want to forget. And as a matter of fact, when I first came home, I thought, this is what I want to do. You know, I just want to forget that six years of pain. But I am, uh, I am of the belief that what I went through, and I think I'm living proof uh, of this, that it, it's not what's around you. It's not what happens to you. It's your response to what happens to you in deciding whether that adversity is going to be a benefit. You throw away the advantage of adversity when you blame other people for your problems and feel sorry for yourself and you go into this pity party and assume that you have no control over your destiny. And, and when you do that, you're just, you're just giving away control of your life. You wrote a book called I'm No Hero in 1973. I'm doing some quick math here. 78 years old, 77 years old. Something. I'm 78. That book's in its 34th printing, as a matter of fact. <laughs> how would you, okay, so you're 78 and you came back at age 30. So how would you describe in a word or two the last 48 years of your life, Charlie? It's been a wonderful experience. I have remarried. I have four wonderful kids. I have four wonderful grandchildren. In fact, right now I'm in my man cave. Okay, I, I still, I, I still fly. I'm a man cave in, in the uh, in the loft of an of a, of a airport hangar. Okay. Wow. Yeah, my wife built this for me. It's a two bedroom, two and a half bath, full kitchen. Wow. I overlook a valley of vineyards. Look down in big windows into my airplanes. I have two airplanes. I have an antique airplane from World War II, and I have an experimental airplane that I terrorized the skies of Southern California. <laughs> I'm coming over, Charlie. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, no. I'm coming over. Will you go upside down with me? No, absolutely <laughs> not. But something tells me I won't have much of a choice once I'm up there. If you, You've kind of dedicated your life to sharing and relating your experiences to everyday life, which honestly sounds preposterous to me and everyone else, but you don't think so. You don't think that uh, your six years is much different than uh, what we... I, I saw you talk a little bit in some interview about you can't imagine giving birth to a child. You know, after I, after I, I speak, I uh, have people come up to me and say, I could never have done that. And if it's a lady and I say, are you a mother? And they'll say, yeah. I said, well, I've watched my wife go through childbirth and there's something I could never do. So, um, so don't, you know, don't imagine that you could never do this. I believe that any... Any, in fact, see, I'm, I'm convinced that some of the challenges we face today are, are as big or bigger than the challenges I faced. You know, and this whole pandemic thing, you know, uh, in lockdown um, and, and not having toilet paper. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't have a, a, a square of Charmin for 2,103 days. <laughs> 
And <laughs> oh. So. Um, the little things, Charlie. The little, the little things. things of life. <laughs> wow. So, it's, you know, it, it really is all in how you look at it. Since we do a sports show here, let's finish with this. All right. Um, it's a question that comes up all the time and has been coming up for years and years since Colin Kaepernick was the first to do it. What is a guy who spent six years as a prisoner of war in Hanoi think when he sees an athlete go down on one knee during the national anthem? Well, I, first of all, I'm very disappointed. You know, I, I, I wish it were different. I wish that people felt better about the nation in which we live and, you know, the men and women who fought and died to give people the, the freedom to play football. I, I think maybe more ideally uh, or idealistically, I was in uniform to protect Kaepernick's right to dissent, and I lived in a, a foreign country nearly six years where if he were there and he disrespected the North Vietnamese flag, he would probably be strung up from the, from the closest tree. So while I'm disappointed that that happens, I feel like uh, that's one of the things that I did in my 31 years in the Navy was to, is to protect a guy's right to do that. I've interviewed a lot of people over my 30 years, Charlie. This one really stands out. I, I can't emphasize thank you enough for all that you've done for the United States and for all of us back home. You are a true life living hero, and I can't imagine feeling more privileged talking to anyone else. Thank you very much. I, I've listened to a number of your podcasts. I really, you know, you're, you're a great guy and you're thank you. passing the word and you helped me tell my story and I, I really uh, salute you for that. CharliePlum.com if you want to learn more, you want to get the book, you want to hear about his motivational speaking, go uh, check him out on his website. 78-year-old uh, Captain Charlie Plum. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you so much. Come back and visit us on Mitch Unfiltered. Will do. Thanks, Mitch. And without further ado, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, Sean Waterstrat, who also is the gracious title sponsor of all of our golf pools and the NFL's Beat the Boys competition, which is on the way back. John, how are you? Doing great. Thanks, Mitch, for having me on. Thanks for being back on. Summer's kind of getting away from us. We need to make decisions now. You're going to give us the reasons why. Fireplace season will be here before you know it. Yeah, we've been spoiled in the Northwest with this beautiful weather, but just around the corner, that cold chill will be out there, and uh, we want to get our houses ready for to keep us nice and cozy warm. With that being said, it's a good time to make decisions right now. The industry is a little bit variable. We're seeing lots of things go up and down, whether it's price or whether it's stock. So, you know, if you're ready to find that fireplace and ready to do this project, uh, let us know, and we'll get you on the schedule immediately so you can get it just in time for that cold chill. How many showrooms do you have these days? at Fireside Home Solutions up and down the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, we try to make it conveniently located for everyone. So we have our flagship store there in Bellevue. Love that store. Uh, our Kent store will be moving to Auburn. So we'll be having a nice grand opening, opening a new store in Tacoma. And then we have the two great stores in Portland over there in Beaverton and in Tualatin. We're ordering a new outdoor unit from you guys. And Brian was here just the other day helping. It's nice to go to the showroom. But what I love about you guys is your team 
comes to the home to develop the perfect strategy. Yes, we do, Mitch. And, and it's one of the benefits of going with Fireside. You can definitely come into one of our showrooms. If you don't have time, we can do in-home sales with you. But we're always going to come out to your house. We're going to have a great measurement done. Make sure we're talking the same language. Make mm-hmm. sure you're doing those final details. So when our installers get out there, they can get that fireplace installed and you can be enjoying it as soon as they get done. What's the lag time these days for units that you don't have in stock? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it can vary out there. Like we said, there's no better time than making a decision right now. Huh. Some things are taking up to six to sometimes 12 weeks. But uh, again, if you're just looking at something that's in stock, we can get you done in two to three weeks. Fireside Home Solutions has been a terrific partner with all the great contests, and they are the best in the Northwest. If you're if you're in the market for a new fireplace, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. I remember throwing up in a bush outside the pump house <laughs> the night before the 81 Apple Cup. And then the next day, going to the Apple Cup and, and being excited because when you mention about needing something else to happen, we didn't need anything else to happen in that game either. We just needed to beat the Huskies and we were going to go to the Rose Bowl. But you guys needed USC, UCLA. They were playing at the same time that day. You needed one of those teams to win. I forget which one it was. So you not only beat us, but you got what you needed to happen in LA to happen. So you ended up going to the Rose Bowl and we ended up losing. The other thing I remember about that game, we didn't have tickets and we snuck in and we pretended we were concessionaires and we, we checked in like we were guys coming to sell Coke or peanuts or whatever and we just saw the sheet and signed our names. Hey, joining us here on episode 136, I feel like I've done this before, is a man <laughs> who's been writing and talking about Northwest sports for a long time. The punchline was funny three times ago. I think he's only 32 years old. He's writer, broadcaster, smartass, dog lover, golf connoisseur. He's the crimson and gray man, the go-to guy, Jim Moore. Hi, Jim. Mitch, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Jim? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm down here in Arizona, and I'm, uh, I'm doing okay with the technology, and uh, I'm happy to be here today with you. <laughs> <laughs> tap your screen, Jim. Every once well, in a while, tap your screen, okay? <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you. So, you know, I was at Cairo for 10 years, and I can't even begin to tell you. I always felt like I was a newspaper guy on the radio, and I'd have, you know, my boss would say, no, 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 you're a sports talk show host now. And I'd say, no, 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 I'm a newspaper guy who happens to be on the radio, and I would prove it almost on a daily basis because <laughs> at some point I'd forget to turn on the damn on button, you know? I mean, you know, it was just like, I, and, and I'd start talking, and then you know somebody the producer would be like turn on your on button you know i was like so yeah so it's it's par for the course what i'm doing here in in phoenix trying to figure out uh the connection here but so far so good here mitch yeah so far so good listen uh you and i've known each other for a long long time we've never gotten a chance to work together i've always wanted you to come on the show but i couldn't have you on the show i wasn't allowed to have you on the show because your bosses at uh, espn radio when they were your bosses wouldn't let me but now that you're here we have to catch up i hope you're in a good storytelling mood because that's what we want on unfiltered we want the go-to guy to tell us stories we want uncle jim grandpa jim to tell us 
stories here on episode 136, and I want you to start off with one that you're going to say, oh, my God, this is the worst one because it's not a great story. I I don't even know how you got the go-to guy nickname. Can you please explain this to me? The go-to guy nickname, uh, yeah, that was... uh that was one that I didn't really approve of, but it was back when I worked at the PI, and they told me, they go, hey, Jim, David McCumber, the managing editor there, we'd like you to write a page two sports column, and uh, I thought, okay, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to it, and we had it all ready to go, and I was going to start on a Monday, and everything was in place, and then on a Saturday, I went down, I was living over in Port Orchard at the time, went down, got the PI out of my box, and walked back up the driveway and I open up the paper and I see this column by David McCumber saying yeah read Jim Moore on Monday he's our go-to guy we're going to call him the go-to guy and I thought (laughs) well uh okay I get you know I I thought that was kind of ridiculous I I mean I'm no one's go-to guy for anything except for maybe you know bad bad wagers or something but then I thought well okay he's the managing editor he's my boss if he wants to call me the go-to guy then I'll just go with it so I just went with it and I haven't really been called the go-to guy much lately uh, you know after being 10 years over there at Cairo radio but and the PI closing in 2009 but uh, yeah the nickname kind of stuck there for a while and I mean every once in a while somebody will say hey go-to guy and I'm like, yeah, hold on, I guess hold, on, that's hold, me. hold on a second now I'm not letting you off the hook so easy here your email you had me email you to something called the go-to guy did you not yeah <laughs> <laughs> I did, Mitch, but I'm going to get the last. See, my sister, when when the PI went out of business, I was look. I, you know, I had the old J Moore at SeattlePI.com. That was my old my old email address, and I didn't have a personal email address at the time. And so then she was like, "Well, hey, hey, bro, you need to you need to go with Jim Moore, the go-to guy, because oh. that's what people know you as." And okay. so that email is from 2009 after the PI closed, and then I would probably change it but I, I don't know how Mitch so I just I, I'm staying with it so 26 yeah. years 26 full-time years at the PI and then a few more years as a freelance but how many years on the radio how'd you enjoy it's funny because you already started you already beat me to the punch because I've worked with a lot of the newspaper guys over the years that have transitioned into our world the TV and radio world and they all say the same thing I, I'll never forget what Kornheiser said to me the first day that I was to produce his show in 1992 he looked at me in the eye and he said Mitch I'm a writer I am not a broadcaster I am a writer I'm a newspaper writer don't ever forget that how how did you like how many years at Cairo and how'd you like the whole Cairo talk radio daily show experience Jim well I Mitch I enjoyed it for the most part it was uh, something I never in a million years expected to do I I always even though I I was a writer and had to ask questions at news conferences and do all kinds of interviews I always had this stage fright a little bit about uh, a public appearance if I ever made one or you know doing something on TV which which I rarely did, um, or any even when I would go on with Graz and Gas, just when, when you guys were coming back from break, I could feel my palms sweating a little bit and getting a little nervous. I did, I really did, and I don't know why. And even, even you know, and I tell people that at three o'clock every day when our show started, when you know, when the big voice guy came on and said, you know, it's time for Danny David Moore, you know, I was like, oh my God, 
we go. I, I, I hope I can, I hope I can get through another show here today without someone figuring out that I'm a fraud. Uh, you know, so I just, I just was so appreciative. Big picture, I look back and I'm thinking, man, I can't believe I lasted 10 years. Because when I went in for the audition, I sat in with Calabro and I thought it went well for the most part. It was probably 10 minutes and Kevin asked me some questions about being a coog and that kind of thing. So, I mean, he set me up really well. But at some point, I don't know why I did this, but at some point I swore. Uh-oh. And and I knew we weren't on the air. It was just an audition. But Owen Murphy was the program director at the time. Sure. And God, he just chastised me. He just <laughs> ripped me hard. He was like, what are you doing? You can't swear. And I go, well, yeah, but it's just an audition. I know it's not on the air. So I, I walked out. I, I kind of had my tail between the legs when I walked out. And I remember my dog being with me. And I looked at him and I go, Willie, that did not go well. And... Uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I, I started out just somehow being like one of these so-called one-hour-a-guy-a-week that showed up, you know, as a like a Seahawks insider or something. And then one day I got a call from, from Owen saying, hey, would you like to come in and sit with Kevin on a daily basis? And, uh, yeah, it, it just it lasted for 10 years. I do – you want to hear another story? Hold on. You, you, you want to say – let's see, the, 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 the punchline of that story is when Owen called you year, a long time later to ask if you want to do that, you should have said, F yeah. should have cursed at what? him at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, I, probably, <laughs> I, 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 I can tell you um, – I, I did call KJR too. Oh. After after the PI closed. Oh. And I, I talked to Rich Moore. Yeah. And okay, so the conversation kind of went like this. I, I said, Rich, you know, it's Jim Moore from the PI. I'm I'm looking for work. The PI's closed. And he basically said, Well, Jim, you know, we're not going to hire any Cougars here to work at our station. <laughs> and I. I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, you got Ian Furness working there, who's a Coug. You got Jason Puckett, who's a Coug, working there. What do you mean you're not going to hire any Cougs? And then he said something else and was just kind of joking around. And I just, I don't know why I did this, Mitch, but I just said, bleep you, Rich. (laughs) And then, and he goes, (laughs) there was a pause and he goes, well, that's not going to help you get hired. And I was like, no, I know, you're right, you're right. But um, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, Kevin, you know, Kevin Calabro really uh, went to bat for me. Um, I ended up working with him for a little while, and he was going to work with Dave Grosby, and then they ended up giving Dave Grosby his own show, so I was able to stay with Kevin until Kevin left and went on to do some NBA stuff, and and then I just kind of, I was, you know, I was tied to Kevin's hip, though. I was told that. They basically told me, look, you're tied, they didn't say you're tied to Kevin's hip, but I understood the, the, the reading between the lines that if Kevin left, I was a goner, too, so um, I don't know how I hung in there for 10 years honestly I, I mean it was You're entertaining. it was so much fun I really enjoyed it and I you know there's times when I think to myself gee I wish I was still doing that but other times I'm more philosophical and I go man Jim really you lasted 10 years doing that good job buddy 
I think you're a damn good doing it. I think you're a terrific writer. I've been a fan of yours from afar for a long, long time. Jim Moore, uh, formerly the go-to guy, <laughs> is with us on, yeah. uh, on episode 136. So listen, I got I, I to gotta catch up on some stories. I'll throw out the topic. You tell me the story, okay? All right. Gary Payton and the toothpaste, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never get tired of telling that story because it was just so bizarre. Um, although I'm a little sketchy on the details. I, you know, it was one of those playoff. You remember back when they, uh, they were having a hard time getting out of the first round. Yes. Uh, they, you know, they lost to the Nuggets, and then they lost to Nick Van Exel and the Lakers in the first round. And then here they are playing against the Sacramento Kings. And they, I think they won game one in the first round, and they lost game two, and both of them were in Seattle. And I'd heard that... Um, Gary, somebody, I didn't have that many sources, Mitch, but I did have someone tell me that Gary that night after the game, now they lost to Sacramento and here they were, you know, in a position yep. of, oh my goodness, here go the Sonics again. They're going to be blown out in the first round. Yep. But I found out that Gary Payton had to go to a Swedish hospital or something to get, get IV fluids. I mean, basically the story from my perspective was going to be, you know, the Sonics lost, but the glove left it all on the floor to the point that he had to go to Swedish hospital to get an IV to get extra fluids he spent the night at the hospital I knew it was a story that no one else had and I wanted to go with it and so I went up to him before game three in Sacramento and I just you know said hey Gary you know this is what I heard you know what about it can you tell me about it and I even told him I go Gary I go this is you know such a terrific story it just shows you know it's symbolic of an athlete who went the extra yard to the point that he had to go to the hospital and and he, he looked at me he looked up at me and he goes so what's that got to do with basketball and I, I just looked down at him and I said well Gary I go you know it's just such a great story and I repeated myself to him about what I just told you and he looked up at me again and he goes so what's that got to do with basketball and I think I tried one more time to convince him because I thought it was such a good story that I wanted to give it my best shot. And he gave me that what's it got to do with basketball thing again. And so I just looked at him and I go, you know what, Gary, I'm sick of your shit. I'm just sick of your shit, man. And so he stood up. Yeah. And basically, you know, normally as a reporter, you, you know, I mean, for so many years with Gary Payton, and if I'm him, I'm sick of reporters always, you know, there with a notepad and, <laughs> and a tape recorder, you know, like, oh, God, what's Jim Moore going to ask me today, you know. I don't blame him for being sick of that, but that was our job. And they were a big deal in town at the time, and he was a star player, so, you know, what are you going to do? Typically, though, I would walk away and say, Gary, thanks for your time. You know, have a good evening or whatever. But I, I just had enough. I, I just I couldn't take it anymore. And so after I said, Gary, I'm sick of your shit, he stood up and he got in my face and he said, so what are you going to do about it? And <laughs> I, I didn't really have a comeback. I didn't know, like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm 38 at the time, and I'm, you know, kind of flabby, and I'm not much of a fighter anyway. And he, he's looking at me, and I could tell that he was very unhappy, Mitch. <laughs> so, but I didn't want to just say, well, you know, Gary, I'm not really going to do anything about it. I'm just going to put my tail between my legs and walk out of the locker room again like I always do. But, and so instead, I just happened to notice he had just brushed his teeth and he had toothpaste in the corner of his mouth. And so I just, I, I go, you know, Gary, I go, I still don't know why I said this, but I go, Gary, you, you have a little toothpaste in the corner of your mouth right there. And, and he just, 
he he didn't say anything. He was ready to, to I mean, he was ready to deliver a roundhouse right. And it was either <laughs> Sam Perkins or David Wingate. Uh, you know, they they grabbed him and pulled him away from oh, me. God. And then and and then George Carl came. He saw there was a ruckus, and so George <laughs> bear hugged me. And then then all it was, I don't know if we can swear on your podcast you can, or not. Go ahead. I, I, it's okay. No, but it's 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 the F word. Ba well, basically we. Just all we did after that was like bleep you, bleep you, bleep you, bleep you, bleep you, <laughs> back and forth, and then uh, I was escorted out of the locker room, and you know, and I thought, oh, oh God, God, Jim, you've really done it this time. You're probably going to get suspended or something. Um, and then what the result of it was is that I couldn't talk to Gary for two days, I think, or maybe three days, so I couldn't quote Gary in my stories. And then after that, it was you know we got along okay. Okay, and it was kind of chilly, uh, but you know he was he was cordial enough that I could do my job. And to his credit, you know I saw him at a some sort of charity benefit. I think it was a, a John Howie charity benefit several years, you know, after he retired, and he was probably 48 or 50 at the time. And um, you know he he was very cool. He, he looked like he was actually happy to see me, and we had a nice conversation. And yeah, so it was. But you know it just gets that way sometimes. And now you know, I mean, it happens so long ago, but if it happened, uh, you know, in these times, it, it probably would have been a bigger deal than it was, but I, I always liked Gary Payton. I always appreciated how hard he played, and I, I kind of understood why he, he got sick. I mean, I'd be sick of it, too. Reporters in there all the time, but yeah, that's okay. basically the gist of the story okay. there, Mitch. Okay, it's, it's Masters Week. It's one of our favorite weeks. You and I share a passion, a love for the game of golf. Next story from Grandpa Jim. The question to Tiger Woods. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> uh, that one was, because I, I just, as a columnist, I, I was a columnist at the time, and I think I went to the Masters four times, uh, four or five times. And, Mitch, you're right. Uh, when I got the assignment, and that's the thing, you know, I never got rich as a sports writer. I never really did. Uh, but I never regretted uh, choosing to be a sports writer for a career because, uh, to go to Augusta was something I always wanted to do. And not only did I go to Augusta, but I played there twice, wow. which was, you know, I won the media lottery a couple times and got to play there. And it was just fantastic. And the first time I went there, I couldn't, I drove by my hotel and it was getting dark, but I just, I had to get there. And I, I walked the back nine and, you know, the carts had their lights on and everything. And I was just like, man, here's number 10, here's 11, here's 12 over Ray's Creek and everything. So I was always excited to be there. But the one thing I wanted wanted to do every time I was there is I didn't want to write stories that everybody else was writing. I thought to myself, you know, if I'm going to be here, if the paper's going to send me here, I want to write something that you can't get anywhere else. And I'm a dog lover, and I'd read that Tiger had a couple of dogs, and I just thought, okay, Jim, this is going to take some, <laughs> this is going to take some guts here, but all these golf writers are going to be sitting here in this, in this press room. Tiger's going to be up there at the podium. And are you really going to ask him about his dogs? And I just sat there again. My palms were sweating. And I just, you know, I, I waited for my turn. And when it was my turn, I just kind of blurted out. You know, everybody else is asking about, hey, Tiger, what do you think of the course conditions? And, you know, Tiger, what's the state of your game? And, you know, Tiger, how are you going to play this hole? And, Tiger, can you, you know, win another Masters? And then all of a sudden, it's my turn. You know, Jim Moore from the Seattle Post-Intelligence. Hey, Tiger, um, 
hey, how's your border collie doing? You know, and, and he, had a, he had some other dog too. And I just, you know what though, Mitch? He, he looked at me and he smiled through the whole time he was answering questions. I, I was in, I got another follow-up question, something about, I don't know, I thought I was being funny, you know, like if you're Tiger Woods' dog, you get filet mignon, or I can't remember what I even asked him. It was it was all a blur, but I, the whole time I was talking to him about his dogs, I kept thinking, number one, I want to give the readers something they're not going to get anywhere else. Number two, I know that all these other golf riders are looking at me going, hey, who's that idiot from Seattle in the front row up there? So I just went with it, though, and I wrote the story. And you know what? I'm proud of that damn story. I'm really proud of it. You can Google it if you want to read it. It's not the best column I ever read, but I can tell you one thing. No one else wrote about Tiger Woods and his dogs that day, but I sure as hell did. <laughs> oh, this is great. All right. You caddied for Charles Barkley, did you not, Jim Moore? That one was probably... Like, like no one's ever said, hey, Jim, what's the highlight of your career? No one's ever said that to me. But if anyone did ever ask me that question, I would probably say that it was the day I spent with Charles Barkley. And, I, you know, Mitch, I don't know how much time you have. I'll try and, you know, get through this as quickly as possible. But I, it was a there was a call that Barkley had. And I thought and it was for a charity. That, yeah, they were promoting the American Century Championship, the celebrity tournament they have in Lake Tahoe every year. And I just, you know, we were just supposed to ask softball questions and charity related questions and that type of thing. And so then when it was my turn, I did ask him a softball question. And then I just thought, ah, Jim, just have a wild hair and, and see if you can caddy for him during the program portion of the event. And so I just said, after the first question and the second question, I say, Charles, any chance I could caddy for you during the, the Pro-Am day on Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it was? And he just said, yeah, sure, man. Look me up when, uh, when you get here. I was like, okay, cool. And, so, and I, had, I had no idea how I was going to get a hold of him. I, I didn't have his cell or anything, but I figured that he'd be at a casino knowing that Charles likes to gamble. So I get there. I get to... Um, it was either Caesars Tahoe or it might have been across the street at Harrah's or somewhere, one of the casinos. And he was in the high roller room. And I've never been in the high roller room. I mean, I, I like to throw the dice, you know, occasionally and, you know, go to sports books and that kind of thing. But I've never been in a high roller room because I, I always feel like if I went in there, I, I don't have the money to spend on gambling like that. And I, I'd probably, you know, like as soon as I walked in there to go talk to Barkley, somebody would say, hey, what are you doing here? You're not a high roller. But somebody convinced me to, I, I can't remember, it was a punter, a punter from the Giants. I forget who it was. And I told him what I was contemplating. He goes, ah, just walk in there. I get back there and I meet Barkley and I said hey Charles I'm the guy from Seattle I said I'd like to caddy for you tomorrow and he goes oh yeah 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 okay and the thing I'll never forget is that he was talking to uh, Jim Fossil of the I think he was head coach sure. of the Giants at the time sure. and his daughter Fossil's daughter was with him at the time and I'll never forget this so he he, he meets me Barkley does and then he's talking to Fossil and his daughter and he's got he's playing two hands at one time and I mean I know I know red chips and green chips and black chips you know five dollars twenty five dollars hundred dollars well Barkley had these like chartreuse colored chips out there in front of him and I I had never really seen those chips before and the dealer is sitting there asking Charles do you want to hit do you want to hit Charles do you want to hit and he's still talking to Fossil and come to find out 
these are $5,000 chips, so he's betting $15,000 a hand, and yet he's distracted talking to Jim Fossil and me, and I'm thinking, oh my God, if I had 15 grand out there, I'd be like looking at my cards, thinking, should I take a hit or not? Excuse me, you know, while I'm focused on what I'm doing here, but it, apparently that kind of money didn't mean as much to him as it would have to me. Um, but so then the next day we worked it out. I met him on the range. He um, he was hitting balls next to Michael Jordan. He was making fun of Jordan because Jordan had some sort of a golf device that he was trying to you know use to help with his swing. And Charles was sitting there going, "Look at the great Michael Jordan. He's got to use a damn golf device to help him out here on the on the range and just making fun of him and everything." And the other thing is is that Barkley on the range. Mitch, he can hit some balls. I mean, he there was like a five wood I think he pulled out and he hit it on a rope right down the line, nice lofted, you know, shot and everything. It's just when he gets into, you know, when the shot actually means something, that's when he turns into a circus. And so I ended up caddying for him and um, he was very nice the whole day and I just had my notepad out all the time taking down quotes, interactions he had with fans, that type of thing. If he ever hit a bad shot or a good shot, I would write down a note. After a while though, and I was trying to pretend like I was an actual caddy and you know, hey Charles, you should use a seven iron here, like at par threes, I was trying to help him with <laughs> choosing clubs. But he hit the ball so poorly that after a while it wouldn't matter what I handed him. I mean, he might have done better if he teed off with a putter on some of those par threes. So we get done, and he thanks me. He came over. We were on the last fairway. He came over, and he goes, look. He goes, I'm probably going to be mobbed here at the end of this. I want to thank you. I really appreciate it. And um, so then what I did was, and it was getting late, and I was on deadline. And, uh, God, I had the adrenaline rush of all adrenaline rushes. I knew I had a great story, and I didn't want to screw it up, but I didn't have much time to write. But I still had to stop at the Circle K on the, wa on the way back to my hotel because I wanted to get a six-pack of beer. And, and I, I go back to my room. I get the garbage can. I fill it with ice. I throw the beer in there. I sit down. I'm looking out at Lake Tahoe. I had about an hour and a half to write before my deadline. And I was just cracking beers and writing as fast as I could. And as soon as I hit that send button to, to send it in, I thought, damn, Jim, that was awesome. I was so fired up. It was such a fun day. It was like really um, the number one highlight of my career was uh, that day with Barkley. It was so much fun. Now, when you and uh, and Cairo separated, some might have asked the question: Did Richard Sherman have Jim Moore fired at Cairo? That's that, that was. The <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming. Yeah, that um, <laughs> that was. Uh, yeah, I think Richard finally got his way on that. Um, my career was finally ruined. Um, but no, it. You, okay, I'll tell you about that. So I, you remember that Thursday night game and how he was upset about the Seahawks throwing the ball, and um, it didn't work out. And it goes back to the Super Bowl when they threw the ball when they're down inside the you know three yard line or whatever. And so he was questioning the offensive coordinator and the choice of play call there. And you know most people are thinking you know like Wyman, who I used to work with, you know, like you're a player, you know, you, you play and the coach's coach and, and that type of thing. But we all know what Richard Sherman was like. And so he was upset about the play call against the Rams in Thursday night football. Never mind that they went on to, to score anyway by using a pass. But 
there was a big to-do about that, as you recall, and so we went, we went there that day, and Pete Carroll came out and talked to the media, and he said, yeah, we worked it out with Richard, and, and uh, Pete basically said, I don't know if he used these words or not, but basically, he, he told all of us in the media room there that, yeah, Richard basically ap apologized and you know, saw the error of his ways, and you know, everything's okay. Well, then Sherman comes out after Carroll, he didn't hear Pete talking to us, and he was still, um, he was still defiant. Uh, he still was like, it was almost like, yeah, you know, he hadn't changed his mind. He hadn't really apologized. He still felt like it was a bad call or whatever. And I thought, well, that's opposite of what Carol just told us. And typically, Mitch, at these press conferences, I just sit there and, you know, write stuff down. I maybe will ask a question every once in a while, but I usually will let Condota and some of the other guys ask questions. And I don't, I don't want to blurt stuff out. But I just was like, well, wait a minute. And so I, I piped up and I was just like, well, wait, we just heard from Pete and it sounded like, you know, you know, what's going on? And then I can't remember what he said. And then I finally just said something like, Richard, let me, let me see if I have this right. So you think you have a better idea of what to call uh, like, like as a defensive player for the Seahawks than an offensive coordinator who's looking at the film and the tendencies for the other team, you think you've got a better idea than he does. And then he threw it back at me and he was like, well, I, I suppose you think you have a better idea. And I was like, well, no, it doesn't matter what I think. I just want, you know, basically want to know what you think. And so then one thing led to another and he you know, got, it seemed like he was really put out with my line of questioning. And then when he walked off the stage, he came by me and he just said something like, I'm going to ruin your career. I was like, well, how are you going to do that? Cause that was all, I, I just was so surprised. Like, how are you going to do that? And he goes, I'm going to have your press credential taken away. And Mitch, to this day, I really blew it. You know, I like to think I'm quick on my feet sometimes, but I wasn't <laughs> quick enough on my feet. And I just kind of went like, I think I just said, oh, oh really? Like, y yeah, right. Yeah, the great Richard Sherman, you're going to be able to take my press credential away. Not like I think I was, you know, great or something or above something like that happening, but I just thought I'd never had a player tell me that before. But what I wish I had said, and I just regret it to this day, like when he said, I'm going to have your press credential taken away, I should have said something like, I, and I had my press credential on at the time. It was, it's a necklace thing. And I should have just ripped it off and said, here, take it. Then I won't have to interview assholes like you anymore. And I just screwed up. I should have said that, though. And I didn't. I blew it, Mitch. I, because I had, I had, I, I tried to be somewhat professional. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not known for being much of a professional at times. But, uh, no, you know, and then, then it just kind of blew up. I, I heard from, I didn't think it was that big a deal. I went to Panera Bread and I, you know, I'm just sitting there eating lunch. And then I happened to look at Twitter and I saw Matt Calkins of the Times tweeted about it. And like, Richard Sherman threatened to end Jim Moore's career. And, you know, and then, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, because I just, you know, years and years of doing this, you know, you end up usually, and you know this, Mitch, you, you've upset people on the air with interviews at times. You're going to have a hundred interviews that go really well. But if you do this long enough, there's going to be times oh, where yeah. it gets contentious. Oh. And uh, you're not, try you don't want it like that. But it's it's not that big of a, you know, I don't know. It just yeah. seemed like a mountain out of a molehill. But 
it blew up into something. And your your idea for a comeback would have been great. Here would have been another good one had you decided to use it. You could have also said to him when he said you're gonna he's gonna ruin your career. You could have also looked at him and said, Richard, you have a little toothpaste in the corner of your mouth. <laughs> Well, well, part of me was well, – well, there were two things that came to mind after that, though, too. You know, well, in addition to saying I should have, you know, just said, here, take it. But I thought to myself, I'm 60 years old. There's not much of a career left to ruin. Uh, I, that occurred to me. And then it occurred to me that, hey, hey, Richard, I don't need help ruining my own career because I think I'm capable of doing that on my own. So, yeah. All right. One, um, la- one last one before you go, and hopefully you'll come back and be with us again on Mitch Unfield. This has been fantastic. It's everything I could have wanted and then some, Jim. So give me one last one before you run on me in Arizona. I think I'll like this one. I hope our audience will too. The bet with Ricky Pierce. I want to know about the bet with Ricky Pierce. (laughs) Where did you come up with that one? I'm probably screwing myself here, but I, you know, I don't, I don't think that far ahead. And I say that just because I'm trying to write a book, Mitch. You know, I, oh, okay. Since I, since I, no, 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 I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. I don't care about that. I, you know, basically, I'm going to have a lot of this stuff in my book. And and honestly, what I tell people is, I've always, as a writer, I've always wanted to write a book. It's been a lifelong goal of mine. And but I don't have self-discipline, and I don't have an excuse right now not to write the book because I'm unemployed so I have the time to do it and I really don't care like I'm gonna tell the Ricky Pierce story and if you know somebody happens to buy the book and say oh I heard about that on you know Mitch's unfiltered podcast that's fine because I don't care if I make a dime off the book at this point you just want to write I just want to accomplish sure. a lifelong goal sure. of writing a book and it's basically 40 years uh, behind the scenes with a Seattle sports writer and Seattle sports talk show host and I just want to tell stories like like you're asking me to tell right now that that maybe I haven't had a chance to tell yet. And if I could just hold that book in my hands and look at it, I know how good I'll feel about getting it done. And I don't care if it ends up on anybody's bestsellers list. I just want people to maybe enjoy it. And uh, and, and I, I don't care if I get rich off of it or if, if I don't make a dime off of it. I just want to accomplish that goal. Okay. But Ricky Pierce... Uh, there was a season, I happened to look at this the other day, he shot, I, I think he shot over 50% for quite a few years in a row, and, but he was starting to tail toward, uh, you know, like 52%, 51 50.5%, so it was trending downward, and I think he was around 30 years old, and he, you know, he was a great player with the Bucks, and then he came to Seattle, great player here. And I don't know how it came up exactly, but I just said, I mentioned something to Ricky about, yeah, you think you're going to shoot 50% this year because, you, you know, you've gone down a little bit the last few years. And he kind of looks up at me and he's like, what do you mean, man? And I was like, well, I, I don't know. It just kind of looks like your shooting isn't quite what it used to be or something like that. And he goes, he goes hey, hey, man, why don't we make a bet on whether I shoot 50%? And it was the same thing like with Gary. I just, I just didn't want to back down. I just didn't want to say... Even though I'm thinking to myself, man, this is really unethical. Uh, if my editors found out that I was betting with an NBA player, that's probably grounds for dismissal. But I thought, ah, what the hell? Uh, you know, and I just thought, okay, well, what do you want to bet, Ricky? I'll, I'll bet that you don't shoot 50% this year. And he goes, let's bet $1,000. And of course, a thousand bucks to him was nothing, but it was quite a bit to me. 
I didn't I didn't want to bet a thousand I probably would have bet a couple hundred or something like that but then I thought I don't want to say no I'll just find some buddies that want to put in 250 each and I'll take 500 of it or, yeah. or whatever we'll split it up yeah. and so I said okay Ricky you're on and I remember him mocking me I remember him laughing you know to the players his teammates like yeah the reporter kid he doesn't think I'm gonna shoot 50 percent you know we bet a thousand dollars and all that and so so <laughs> So we, the season starts, and it's probably 10 games in, and I think Ricky was shooting 47% or 48%. And it's pretty bad when I think about it, Mitch, because you're supposed to be watching the game objectively and, <laughs> and you know, being everything I learned over there at Washington State University, how to cover a team, and, <laughs> and here I am betting with a player and, and hoping he did poorly. And so er, I swear to God, every time Ricky shot, it was like, Please miss, please miss, please miss. <laughs> even if it meant the Sonics were going to lose, I was thinking, man, I want that $1,000. And so then we got about, I think it was 15 or eight, 18 games into the season, and we were back at Boston Garden. And I, I'm down there. Back then, we were you know, courtside, the beat writers, and, and I, I always thrilled to go to Boston Garden. That was one of the exciting things for me when I was a kid. I thought, man, if I could ever see that parquet floor, uh, that would be awesome. But one of those times when I back there and then Ricky's out there pre-game warm-ups he's out there shooting and he comes over to me I think he was shooting 47 percent at the time we weren't that far into the season and he comes over to me and he goes hey man the bet's off and I go I go Ricky what do you mean the bet's off he goes bet's off man George George ain't giving me my minutes I can't get into a rhythm <laughs> and I'm going well Ricky I go that is your problem not mine I go you know a bet's a bet I go the only way you call off a bet is if both parties agree to calling off the bet and I'm I'm not agreeing to that and then he just walked away and we never talked about it again I never he ended up shooting I think he shot 48 percent so uh -huh. I technically won the bet uh, but I have not seen the one thousand dollars from Ricky Pierce so if you see him can you tell him that he still owes me that oh gosh Great stuff, yeah. Jim. This fantastic, fantastic stuff. And as I said at the beginning, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. We've gotten to know each other a little bit, not a lot, but uh, I, I think there's another chapter or two in, in your uh, professional <laughs> career. And I, I'm waiting to see the book. I don't care if I've heard the stories ten times. I'm, I'll be the first guy online to buy that book. You'll sell at least one copy. I promise you, you'll sell at least one copy, Jim. Okay. Hey, Mitch, I really, I'm, I'm happy for you, man. And uh, I, I have told you, I listen to your podcast. I love what you do, and I uh, really appreciate you having me. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for being on with us. All right, man. Take care. Well, I've been teasing a big announcement for weeks here on Mitch Unfiltered from my main man, Jordan Flowers, J-Flow, and his Kirkland Mortgage team. I can wait no longer. Our listeners can wait no longer. No more teasing. Jordan Flowers joins us now to tell us what's up. Hi, Jordan. Lay the news on us. Hey, Mitch. Hey, phenomenal job keeping things quiet here the last couple of weeks, but setting out a tease. My entire Kirkland team, including my production team, myself, have moved to Cross Country Mortgage, a powerhouse in the mortgage business, a little bit larger than even the previous company we were at, <laughs> and we are excited to be here. <laughs> Cross Country Mortgage now is the place, but it's the same old team. What does that mean for Mitch Unfiltered listeners in terms of service? 
You know, it's an opportunity for everybody here to just take service to the next level with the clients, control more of the process from start to finish, quick return times, more products for both our clients and our partners, financial advisors, real estate agents to offer more buying opportunities and refinance opportunities for them. So everybody here is excited. And rates are dropping. Rates are dropping. Yes. The Fed kind of put in this silly little half adjuster uh, late last year that impacted refinancing. They got rid of that about a Friday ago. So rates are actually back down into the mid to upper twos on refinances. So anybody that thought they might have missed out on a 30-year fix in the twos, now might be the opportunity and time to give us a call. How's the old team feeling about your entire group changing teams? Well, you know, I love everybody back there and <laughs> they were, they've been great to me and they got great things still to come. Uh, they will be missed. They will be missed. And hopefully uh, I am missed. Rates are dropping. They are still the same old team that gets you the best numbers on a refinance or a new purchase. No longer the old guys. Now Cross Country Mortgage and Jordan Flowers team. And the phone number where we find you, Jordan, still the same. The same cell phone, right? That cell phone will not change. 425-890-2957. Cross Country Mortgage. A new and terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Tasha, did you know Geico could save you hundreds on car insurance and a whole lot more? So what are you waiting for? Hip-hop group tag team to help you plan dessert? Cool. There it is. Great reaction to our chat with DC Glenn on episode 135 of Mitch Unfiltered. So much so that we're not stopping there. Tasha is with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Now, she's not Tasha, but everybody... (laughs) She's really actress, teacher, student, and all-around dancing machine, Nikki Carr, who's with us. Nikki, how are you? Awesome. Hi, Mr. Mitch. I am fine. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you for being on my show. I love your story. You got to tell it to our audience. A Washington, D.C. elementary school teacher who dabbled in acting in the early 2000s. Tell the story. We want to hear it. Absolutely. So um, I'm a native New Yorker. I was born and raised in, in, well, born in New York, and then I moved to Virginia. And had some complications. I learned a little differently, so I failed a couple of classes, well, grades. <laughs> and then I finally got my life together and I applied to one college, St. Paul's College, one of the best HBCUs. Unfortunately, it's closed now. But um, I've always wanted to do some type of acting, theater, drama, something. And I begged my mom, you know, can I please change my major? And she's like, no, I don't care if you get your degree in dog catching, you're going to finish in four years. <laughs> so I stuck with it and Ended up uh, getting a bachelor's in political science, but then I was like, yo, I still want to do something in the arts. So I was doing church plays and doing uh, like community theater and um, moved to D.C. in in 96 and started teaching in like 99, you know. And so while I'm teaching, I'm doing all of this, trying to get the children involved and keep their attention and then one day I just started doing improv because they it was like sugar induced broccoli or something they just would not <laughs> chill out and so I got on stage and started doing this improv and they're looking like what's Miss Jameson doing uh, Miss Jameson are you alright so later on that day I found a, a, found out from one of my 
students was like her uncle was in L.A. She got me on the phone with him. He said, yo, Nick, you need to come out to L.A. I went December that, that Christmas. And I was like, I'm done. Um, I, I love you. I love you, children. But uh, the No Child Left Behind Act, I'm about to leave y'all behind because I want to pursue my own dreams. And off to and Hollywood. So Hollywood, right? And off to Hollywood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, so was, now, that was tough, right? Hollywood was tough. You, you got a job at UCLA and you tried to make a go of the acting career. Tell everybody yeah, how tough it was. Yeah, so I was, I was, I had to get a job because Denzel and Holly and no Mar- and Martin Scorsese and Matt <laughs> McConaughey, none of them was calling me, you know. And so I had to get a job, and my car was about to get repoed and everything. So it was a struggle. I mean, if you could see me, because like I'm seeing you, it, it, it was a struggle because I'm thinking like the amount of eviction notices and everything that was handed on my door. Oh. So I had to get a job. So I started an administrative assistant at UCLA. And thank God I had a boss that was like, as long as your work is done, Nikki, I don't care. Go to your auditions. I would run on my lunch break, come back. I may have on a full face of makeup. He's like, well, where'd you go? You you came here and you were looking (laughs) like plain Jane. Now you look like glamour shot. (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, I had a meeting. So I called my auditions meetings. And so he, uh, yeah, so then I was doing that and I had already started my master's previously in DC and I finished that and then tried to get a job. I ended up at USC being an advisor. And again, I've always been blessed with a supervisor. Let me go do my auditions. And then I started booking commercials. I did a Toyota commercial rooms to go so many different things back in the hallmark. That was really good. And then everything got quiet. It was like, it's tough. I got burned out. Yeah. And it's so tough, you, 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 were you, know? in, you were in Hollywood. You were in L.A. for how many years? 13 years. 13 years 13 in L.A. Years. And then you Definitely. decided, that's it. I've done it. I've tried it. It's not working. I'm going back to Atlanta. You were married at the time, I guess. It was not going back to Atlanta. It was not even on my radar. Oh. Um, when the L.A. Rams said that they were coming back to L.A., my then husband, he's like, uh, the equity shot up. He's like, let's get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I, you know, but all of my family are, are back east. So I thought about it. So one day I just said, let's do it. And then I moved and it was like maybe four or five months that I was here and it felt like it was calling my name. I yeah. felt like I was like, uh, Nikki, Nikki, come back. <laughs> I'm looking around like, who are you talking to, Jesus? Who are you talking to? And so. And so they were, you know, you, you were, you were doing, you were in an office at Georgia State. Yeah. And you, I, and mm-hmm. you looked out the window and you saw them and filming. They were, I think, yeah. I think they were filming like Pitch Perfect 3 or Iron Man or something. Right. And they had the cameras, the booms, the extra ADs, PAs, everyone's ripping and running. And it, it was like, you cannot not see it. Like it was a dream that was still there, but the hustle and bustle of LA would be booking a job and then it being canceled Mm -hmm. or being put on a veil and then someone else gets it. And it was just a lot. And so I contacted a good girlfriend of mine who we all went to church together and she was like, Nikki, I can introduce you to my agent. She did. And we just hit it off. Wow. And then so you you, yeah. were, you did some shows. You did Atlanta, Good Girls, P-Valley, Dynasty, right? And then comes, you're smiling, then comes an audition for so the Geico was, commercial? Did, oh, what happened? Yeah, I did. So 2020, the world turned upside down, right? Yep. But before the world turned upside down, I did Aretha um, Genius, and it just went off last week. 
I had one line. So very grateful. I treated it like it was an Oscar winning performance. (laughs) So from February up until October, it was silent. Right. The industry shut down. And then one day I was crying. I was like, you know, like I had said before, I had gotten divorced and, you know, all my bills had been piling up. I was like, God, I really need to get out of debt. Mickey, stop using your credit card. <laughs> and then I was talking to my best friend, and she, I believe in there's power in the words that you speak. And so she had given me this affirmation to say, and I said it. And then little did I know, 30 minutes prior, my agent had sent me an email about Geico. It was like, Nikki, you got to sign this NDA. Mitch, I've read the breakdown. I was like, oh, I could do this. <laughs> Not in a haughty way. But I, I looked at it, it was like, you're a dancer. I was like, well, that's what I do. You know, that's who I am. I signed it, sent it back the next day, did the audition, did it from like 9 until like 11 o'clock that night. I was like, I don't know which one I like. I don't know. I wish you, I, I'm going to see if I can share with you my audition tape. And, um, I finally, finally got the one that I like. My dog was about to pee on my carpet. Like, let's go, Ma. You've been doing this for two hours. <laughs> I turned it in. Here's the thing. The next day, Atlanta had a, had a tornado. And everybody's power was knocked out. The casting director sends an email and says, hey, you know, we know that everyone's power is out. We're going to extend you all another day. But if you've gotten it, if you got it in, we'll push you through along or whatever. I was like, shoot, I got mine in. I'm good. Callbacks were supposed to be election day. So I was like, so I came to work. I'm here now. Came to work. And I was like, I didn't get no email. God, what's up? I know I did a good job. I did my best. Like around. So then I'm shooting a short film for class while I'm work working. So I'm shooting. I'm shooting some, a student film. And I saw the email come through. You got a call back. And I just started jumping up and down. It was nice. amazing. Nice. The next day. Yeah. I, I did the call back. Yeah. Tag team wasn't on there, but I did the callback, and and the director, Dan um, Opsko, amazing. He was like, so I can see that it's hard for you not to dance, Nikki, but just give me some elbows. Just try it. (laughs) So I'm like this. You know, he's like, so I'm doing it, and he's like, okay, thank you. Before we get off the phone, I said, hey, can I try something else? Can I try something? I just thought about it. He said, sure. So I did it. Then he said, well, try this. Now try this way. So I did it, and they laughed. The next day, I got an email saying, you know, Nikki, first refusal. And then that wow. Friday, wow. I heard that I booked it. Wow. it was, like, I get so emotional because it would happen so quickly. And I feel like God heard my prayer and... Like, and I couldn't tell anybody because I signed the NDA. And I was like, come here, Mahogany, my dog. I was like, I booked the commercial. She's looking like, what? <laughs> and so oh. we ended up shooting it the following week. It was just an amazing experience. Everyone was so nice. Tag team. I'm trying not to fangirl. DC Glenn is like a freaking walking encyclopedia of knowledge and, and enthusiasm and hypeness. And Steve Rowland, he's he's amazing too. The cast, I knew the cast, uh, the husband and the daughter. We were all in an improv group together called um, it's a TLC, Crazy Sex and Cool is what we were called, out of Decatur. And we knew each other, so we knew how we worked. We worked well. And so, wow. Yeah, that's where I am. Wow. 
And it, are you class. crying? Why are you crying? Don't cry. Because I'm I don't so like, thankful. I don't, I don't need to be making guests cry. We're supposed to be laughing, not crying. Okay, so I know, but uh, I'm well, in a place of gratitude. Oh uh, well, you're you're incredible. So what was the day like? The day was amazing. DC told me it was cake batter, not ice cream. Nikki. It was cake batter. <laughs> no, it was it wasn't cake batter. It was um, icing, cake icing, icing, cake icing, the icing yeah. for the cake. Yeah. And and shout out to the crew. They they kept turning it around. It's like they had eleven thousand tons or whatever. I don't know, like eleven hundred pounds of cake yeah. icing in a yeah. trash bag, and they kept stirring it around. <laughs> and they were bringing the containers in. Hey, like, Nikki. We shot it. <laughs> when did, when did you see? the commercial for the first time and what was your reaction when you saw it for the first time? I saw the commercial for the first time Christmas night. Well, Christmas night, LA time. Mm -hmm. two, around two something, my, my text message went off and my friend Rodney, he was like, well, Merry Christmas to you and uh, you're on my TV. You're, why, are you, why do I see you? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? He said, you're on YouTube. I said, for what? He said, and he sent me the link, and I shot straight up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> had no clue. You didn't know. You didn't. You hadn't so, seen it yet. No, you didn't even know it was released, huh? I didn't know. I didn't know when it was going to be released. Wow. And so I sent Amethyst and Anthony yeah. the text message. I was like, Yo, I'm so sorry for the late, early reply. It had to be like three in the morning. Yeah. I was like, Please, my regards to to your loved ones, but. <laughs> did you love it, Nikki, when you saw it for the first time? Did you love it? I did. Yeah. I did. I was sitting there like, this is bananas. <laughs> it was because it was such a very long day. It was yeah. a long from 7 a.m. We started filming around 930, finished at 730. So they had hundreds of tapes that it, they could have chosen and they chose those. Is the commercial, yeah. is the commercial paying the bills? Are the bills paid? I got hired to do a job. You did. And when you work, when you work, yep. you get compensated. So, Nikki, I, I, you know, for all of our, you know, we're a kind of a sports podcast and people in our audience like me don't know exactly how this works. Without getting into your business, a commercial, I mean, this is like the most successful commercial in years and years and years. Everybody's talking about this commercial. I got kids and, and a wife that walk around the house saying, scoop, there it is, and doing the lyrics. I mean, this is a huge thing. What does it mean to you? I know what it means to you emotionally. I can see what it means to you emotionally. But what does this mean, the visibility of a commercial like this, to an actress's career are you now able to get a lot more out of this or how does it work um i'll talk i'll talk from a humanistic approach like nikki just evelyn and willis's yeah. daughter nikki yeah it's been a lot of exposure balancing it I, I wasn't prepared for it i wasn't prepared for like you reached out to me on social media which i'm very thankful for but like the text messages and the calls, like I'm working on a thesis and I had a deadline to meet when everything started popping off at the beginning of the year, like in January when the playoffs were going on and they were playing it more frequently. And I was like, yo, I got to turn this in. But I got, but I want to respond to this text message. Oh, I haven't heard from you in so long. Oh, my high school boyfriend. How you doing? Are you single now? You know, whatever. <laughs> so it was, it was that those, it was those, I'm not going to, they were welcoming distractions, but it was a little overwhelming. As an artist, 
I, I'm still getting the same amount of auditions. My IMDb number went up. I, I didn't know how important that was. So that means that people are visiting my profile and they're finally under, knowing who I am. But then, like, some people will say, hey, I just saw you on Aretha. Oh, you were on Atlanta? What was it like working with Donald Glover? So it's 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 good. I'm excited to see where it's gonna where it's gonna happen. But my thesis is my thesis is due May the fourth. <laughs> so and I'm like May the fourth. Be with me, Lord, because my professor is like, ma'am, where's your paper? So it's it's good. It's good. It's it's exciting. Well, let me. Some people they don't recognize me because I'm walking around in a mask, but yeah. some do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, let me just say this as I finish. Yes, sir. You, you are you are obviously delightful in the in the commercial. Every time I see your face, as I said, our family lights up. But I never expected this. You're ten times more terrific talking to you here on the podcast than you are even in the commercial. And I I don't think that uh, I don't think that success could have come the way of a nicer person. I'm I'm really really happy for you, Nikki. Really happy for you. Don't cry. This is not me. You got me over here snotting. <laughs> this is great. I thank you. I thank you for telling me that because sometimes I forget of, of, of the blessing this is because everything else is 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 a priority. My work work, my my schoolwork is such a priority, and so I have to stay in the present and embrace every opportunity that comes my way. And sometimes it may come off very ab- abrasive no. because I'm focused. But so thank you. Because once the smoke clouds move, I'll be able to still remember meeting you and countless others. Uh, and so thank you. Thank you so much. Can't wait to you see. You got me in here sweating can't, and hot. <laughs> having a hot flash. <laughs> I can't wait to see you on my TV sometime soon doing a lot of other great things. Thank you, Nikki. You're the best. You are the You're best. You're welcome. Thank you so much. God bless you. Oh, and tell your wife and your daughter, Scoop. There it is. Sprinkle. Sons. <laughs> sons. I won't tell the daughter. Sons. sons. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. Sons. Sprinkles. Thank you, Nikki. Great to talk with you. <laughs> Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Financial Trivia Time with Katie Versio, Senior Financial Planner for our partner at Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back. I think I may have embarrassed myself with an 0 for 3 performance the last time. I'm ready to do better. Is there a theme to this? Yes, the theme today, it's a mid-year market update. I figured it'd be good to just check in. There's been a lot of movement and just see where things are okay i'm ready question number one all right let's see how closely you've been paying attention to the market the first one is an easy one it's a true or false value stocks are outperforming growth stocks this year i'll say true ding 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 that's correct (laughs) (laughs) yes for the last 10 years or so growth has really outperformed those names like amazon facebook google have really been doing well and this year we've seen a little bit of a trend reversal some of those tech names have struggled earlier this year and value has outperformed okay question number two i'm one for one all right so the next one is about inflation so this is a very hot topic in the market today what is the current one-year inflation rate from june 2020 to june 2021 so how much have the cost of goods and services in the economy grown over that one year period is it one percent 2.5%, 
4.6% or 5.4%? Clearly it's over four. The question is, is it over five? I'll go C. Four point, what was it? Four point six percent. I think you gave me a C. Yeah, so that's actually incorrect. Uh. It's D five point four percent. So this is a huge number. It hasn't been seen since two thousand and eight. Costs and goods and services have really been increasing. This is a big trend that our investment team is watching, and we're really have been over the last six months or so repositioning portfolios to adjust for this new trend we're seeing. All right, still a chance for me to go six sixty seven, Katie. Lay number three on me. In 2021, what's the best performing asset class so far? Is it real estate investment trusts, energy, large cap stocks, or financial stocks? Well, I think it's large cap stocks. Is that not right? I'm sorry, Mitch. That is incorrect. Oh. Most years, it is large cap stocks, and all of these asset classes have performed well, but the top performing asset class is energy this year. It's up over 40%. I'm sure... Your listeners probably experience that when they go to get gas. We sure do. Well, 0 for 3 last time, 1 for 3. I'm moving in the right direction. We love Katie Versio. We love Evergreen Golf Call. Everything wealth. So listen, Dan Black is the president of Zeke's Pizza, I think with 19 locations. I can't keep track. Tacoma, north to Bellingham, and more are coming. Dan, the footprint of Zeke's Pizza widens. Yeah, I can't keep track either. We're either at 19 or 20. We'll have to look on the website. But yeah, more coming too. Uh, Seward Park, White Center, and we're working on a deal in Spokane, so nice. keep your fingers crossed on that. That would be a nice extension east, obviously. The last few times that you and I visited, I've been meaning to mention, with the Northwest-style pizza and beer selection getting all the spotlight at your places, I think the Levy family thinks that the chopped salad is underrated. We were at the Issaquah Highlands location the other day, my son and I, and we agreed that we could do on a visit to Zeke's a large chop split amongst the two of us. Does it do well? Yeah, the chop's one of our most popular salad, and, and the Black family and the president of Zeke's both agree <laughs> with you on the salads. Um, you know, again, like you say, they don't get a lot of attention, but they're awesome. And we have people that are just, they come to Zeke's for the salads. The chop in particular, you know, substantial. It's got salami on it, a lot of different toppings. And uh, that one's definitely shareable and it's substantial on its own. And so, yeah, definitely agree. The beer lineup is always a talking point for Zeke's. We know that. I understand there's another one being added to the list. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, we make a lot of beers every year with a lot of different brewing partners. Any given year, we'll release 9 to 12 on a seasonal basis. They come in and out over a three-month period. Every once in a while, we release one or land on one that when we take it off the list, people rebel. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had one of those last year called Lateral A IPA uh -huh. uh, with our partner in Single Hill out of Yakima. Anyway, people went crazy when that one left, and so we now have it on the permanent lineup. So you can now get cans of Lateral A anytime at Zeke's. Man. Zeke's Pizza is going strong. Don't forget to download the Zeke's Pizza app or Zeke'sPizza.com and have some great pizza and beer and salads delivered right to your door. Go to one of the 19, 20, 23, 30, 40 locations. <laughs> Zeke's Pizza's homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. stuff segment i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cry we dedicate this other stuff segment to diego castillo hopefully by the time people hear this on monday he will have saved the game on sunday 
Yes. And there, remember, no no-hitters, Marco Gonzalez. No no-hitters on right. Sunday. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Other stuff segment. You want to go first? Yes, sir. Okay. New leader in the clubhouse for the highest price ever paid for an NFL card. Oh, yeah. You an like NFL this. NFL card, yes. This is your thing. Now, remember, the, the Tom Brady... Three point one million in March to give you some okay. context. There's okay. a new leader in the clubhouse. Do you okay. know what card it is? Well, it would have to be a Dan Marino card. <laughs> That's right. I had like fifteen of those at one point in my life. Because I told you, and I used where to, are and where are they now? I think uh, I told you the story. I put all my rookies in a binder so I could separate them from she, the rest. She threw them. Stepmom. I don't know what she probably sold them, knowing her <laughs> she's and her a huge, dipshit son. She's a huge. Where is she now? She's I don't a know, huge. She's she, around. She's a huge Dan Marino fan. She's got him posed. She's got him up on the wall. <laughs> That's right. She's living in a ten thousand square foot house somewhere on the the Dan Marino. That sweet, sweet Dan Marino. Okay, who's money. got the highest card now? <laughs> His name is Patrick Mahomes. A 2017 oh. rookie card signed by Mahomes sold for four point three million dollars. Frickin' football card. And where did this... Per- now, this was a card that was in a pack like you and I used to go out and buy packs, or no? Yeah, I'm sure. Was I- it at some point it was in some pack? I assume it was, yeah. And somebody opened it with, like, that, that hard bubble gum, and, right. and they had... And- do they still do that? You're, you're telling me he's got a, a signed card would be in a... Or well, whoever it, owned it. Was it a card, and then they went and got it signed? I think they went and got it signed. Oh. Which is... It's never oh. clear whether that hurts it or not. Well... Well, I'd, I'd say in this case, it didn't that. hurt it much, did it? Yeah. For $4.3 million. $4.3 million. Somebody paid for a card. Patrick Mahomes rookie card. And to card. think that all Patrick Mahomes has to do, he, he and his hundred-something million dollar contract, yeah. all he has to do is go down to the basement where he's got 40 of those cards <laughs> right. and just sign them all, <laughs> yeah. and he's got 40 times $4.3 million. Yeah. I don't think it works that way. No. You get a lot, there's a, more of them out there. A lot less concussions. I like that. how they say it's a one of one. Have you heard that? Yeah. It's a, it's yeah, a yeah. one of one. Yeah, yeah. Makes it very spe- one of one. Yeah, one of one is. Well, I got impressive. news for you, buddy. Yeah, I'm a one of one. You are, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, you are. I'm a one of one. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, Your turn. Seahawks training camp notes: Jamal Adams shows doesn't practice. Pete Carroll says the big deal will happen soon. Uh, how about this one? How come we're not making more of a of a deal on this one? Dwayne Eskridge, D. Eskridge. Yeah. Their their t- their top draft choice. Yeah. Hurt oh. not practicing. I think early season PUP. Is it my imagine or does everybody yeah. they draft is are they hurt before they practice the first time? Have you ever like yeah, you never get is like there, a first look at the at their top draft pick. Uh, do we need to question their medical staff? Are they not are they, did this guy have an injury? All these guys. Of course Malik McDowell got on the yeah. ATV yeah. and all that stuff. Call your right. I mean call your out of Everybody's start, yeah. always hurt before we even start. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Jesus. Unless they're just being extremely cautious. Maybe he's got a little something. No, like, he's why? got more than a little something because because this little something a month or two ago when they had these mini camps, he couldn't perform then. So whatever he's got has lingered now for two months. Maybe they're being careful. Yeah. But he's not out there, and they need rookies to be out there. And What happens there. between the time you get drafted I don't know. where I'm watching you run a 4-2 on TV? What happens between then or, and now? Or did something happen before you got drafted and the Seahawks should have known about it or something oh, like that? Okay, yeah. Maybe you missed it. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. So he's out. Um, Dwayne Brown is there not practicing. He wants a new de- deal. I- I'm just gonna I'm, I'm just gonna say this and then you can you can you know take the lead on the other stuff. This Daryl Taylor thing, I'm already Daryl Tailored out. Okay, go ahead. Do you help. know who Daryl Taylor is? I don't Do I need think a, so. yeah, need a refresher? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Daryl Taylor is one of the guys they drafted last year who never played. Oh, right. Yes. Another yes. one. Another one, yeah. Another one <laughs> yeah. who when they drafted him was hurt. 
He never got on the field. And the whole year last year, we heard from everybody, including my guys, Joe Fan oh. and Brady. Oh, my God. Real deal. This guy could be a game changer. <laughs> yeah. But when he ultimately plays, it's yeah. going to be unbelievable. Well, he didn't play the whole year. Now we got to the offseason. Now we get to the preseason. Now we get to training camp of the following season. And all I, oh, Daryl Taylor's <laughs> practicing. He is so good. And you know I'm obsessed with the pass rush. That's what I've heard. So yes. we start with that. Everywhere you turn on Twitter, Daryl Taylor this, Daryl Taylor that, yeah. okay? I'm willing to buy in, but God help all these people. If we get to two or three weeks into the season and he's like a healthy scratch, he's not even, yeah. on, the, oh, not even on the active roster, yeah, yeah. or he's in the game and we're like watching him going, he can't even get to the quarterback, right. or he's getting, he's getting pancaked by offensive line. Okay, he better be freaking good, okay? <laughs> With all that I'm reading about him, I, my hopes, you got my hopes now. Yeah. Remember the whole high bar, low bar, exceed expectations, keep the bar low. All these people have got me. Larry Stone, and everybody's yeah. writing articles. Bobby Wagner got in front of a microphone and said, oh, wait, do you see Daryl Taylor? I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. Oh. You even asked Joe Fan on the last time he was on, I think, about Daryl Taylor again. Oh, he's a, he's a game changer. He's the real deal. He's, he's going to take him to the promised land. That's right. Yeah, Daryl yeah. Taylor. Yeah. All right. He better be freaking good. Are you going to be hearing from me on this podcast yeah. every week that he's not good? We're going to lead on that Sunday night. We won't be doing it on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. We're going to lead those Monday morning podcasts. Have Seahawks beat the Colts. 27 to 14, Daryl Taylor sucked. <laughs> now, when you say he better be good, g give me an idea of good. 25 sacks or more. Ooh. No. What is he, Mike Gastineau or Mark Gastineau in 1984? He's got to be good. He's got to okay. be. If, if, if Mike Gastineau. People are just raving about him. He's just got to be okay. out there and effective. He's got to show. Just show me something. Show me something to, to to make all this talk real, okay? When, when you brought him up first, I was like, don't tell me he got hurt again, too. No, he didn't get not uh, yet. I'm happy he's healthy, at least. By That's next, good. 150, episode 150. <laughs> okay, <sorry>. sounds good. <laughs> oh, and Rashad Penny is lighter. Oh, okay. I'm, I, for all you Rashad Penny fans. So he's lighter. He's lighter. He's like the same weight he was in college. Very quick now, very explosive. You hear all these things. He's got that suddenness that he used to have oh, when they drafted him. He yeah. does. Yeah. Okay. And he won't be back next year. I'm excited. That's it. <laughs> this is last year for the Seahawks. Okay, good. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, before you go to the other stuff, your next thing. Um, Carson Wentz, see the story? No. Foot injury. Remember he signed? Yeah. Or, or they, did they trade him? I guess the Philadelphia Eagles traded him to Colts? the Colts. Yeah, yeah. 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 Foot injury, believed to be serious. They're wondering whether a specialist is going to say surgery. His his availability in week one of the regular season is now highly in jeopardy. And who are the Colts playing in week one of the regular season? It's got to be the Eagles. It would be the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. So if Carson Wentz can't go, yeah. currently the backup quarterback to Carson Wentz, oh. and now the starter. Here is your Stump the Band oh, question no. number two wrong. of episode 152. <laughs> Jake Browning can only play on one team, right? No, but Jacob Eason can play oh, on no. one. <laughs> <laughs> He's the yes. starter. Right now, if, if season, wow. if, if week one were like this coming week, yeah. a few things would happen. D. Eskridge wouldn't play. Right. <laughs> Daryl Taylor would probably not get any sacks. Yeah. And Jacob Eason would be the starting quarterback Jeez. for your Indianapolis Colts. We'd have two starting Husky quarterbacks in week one if it were tomorrow. If, if it were tomorrow. That's right. That's incredible. Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason. That name I hadn't about thought Eason. about since Lake he Stevens, left. Lake Stevens, right? 
I think so. Yeah. I get Lake Taps and Lake Stevens yeah. and Lake Boren and It just was always weird Lake that his, his dad's name was Lake Tony. Tony but, yeah. His dad's name's Tony, but not the He Tony. wasn't the long necked Tony <laughs> Eason. No, it was not. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, did he have the long neck? I thought no, it that was, was that was Grogan. That was Grogan. Tony yeah, the, Eason was the, the other one that was on that team. Yeah. Champagne Tony out of the University of Illinois. That's yeah. right. Yeah, long necked was uh, uh, Grogan. Uh, what was Grogan's first name? Steve. Steve Grogan. Yeah. Right. yeah See, I'm, yeah. I'm the sports yeah. guy. Just come to me. That with was that the stuff. squish. Tony Eason was the squish the fish game. Oh no, I remember the Tony Eason, not the yeah. Lake Stevens Tony yeah. Eason. And how'd that work out for him in the Super Bowl against the '85 Bears? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for a boring Super Bowl. Squish I blame you guys too. I blame the Dolphins. The first one on the podcast ever. I love it. All right, quick update on Bob Odenkirk. I told you he was like rushed okay, to the hospital. Okay, I, I have an update for you on Bob oh, Odenkirk. Okay, because you brought it up. Did you bring it up on the P show? Or I the, think it was the P show. Okay, yeah. and I told you I didn't know who he was. I couldn't picture him. And yeah. you said, yes, you can. You just don't know him by name. I have since seen his picture because I've seen the story. I, I absolutely recognize okay. Bob Odenkirk. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I don't know what he's been in, but I recognize him. Mr. Show, Breaking Bad was his big break. Okay. And he got his own show from Breaking Bad. Okay. Anyway, he, he suffered a heart attack when he collapsed on the set of Better Call Saul. Doing, but Doing much better. Yeah, he says he's going to come out of this okay thanks to a group of great doctors in New Mexico. But that was scary. Bob Odenkirk is just beloved in this country, so I'm glad he's going to be okay from that. Okay. You got another one? Of course. Okay. Incredibly emotional moment at the 2021 NBA draft when Commissioner Adam Silver selected the late Terrence Clark with an honorary pick on behalf of the league. I don't know if you saw it or not, but you remember 19-year-old Clark, a star for the University of Kentucky, was tragically killed in a car accident back in April, just months before he was set to become a star in the NBA. So his name was called Thursday night with Silver paying tribute uh, right after the 15th pick was made. And it was pretty emotional. You've heard the expression... With friends like you, who needs enemies? Have oh, you ever yeah, heard that sure. expression? My yeah, yeah. dad used to love that expression. Yeah, yeah. With friends like you, who needs enemies? Right. Uh, yeah, he used to say it to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to translate that. I'm going to change that into with spouses like you, who needs enemies? Okay. Okay. The NHL said it will investigate an allegation seemingly made by Evander Kane's wife. Okay. That the San Jose Sharks forward bet on his own games and has intentionally tried to lose for gambling profit. Unreal. The league said Saturday night on Twitter that it was made aware of the social media posts and plans to conduct a full investigation. Here's what Kane's wife, not ex-wife. Well, that was one of my questions. I, I don't think she's an ex-wife yet. Right. But here's what she wrote on Instagram. <laughs> I, I, this is, I, can't even, I can't even make this up. Right. Here's what she wrote. I don't know why I'm laughing, but it's funny. Here's what she wrote on Instagram. Quote, how does the NHL let a compulsive gambling addict still play when he's obviously throwing games to win money? Hmm. Maybe someone needs to address this. Well, they, they, they can't still be married. That, that, they had to have gotten in a huge married. fight or something. Maybe now. Yeah, well, well definitely yeah. now. Remember, but. Okay. Please don't get into a fight on Sunday. Right. Wait till Monday. <laughs> That's incredible. She added. Can someone ask Gary Bettman, the commissioner, how they let a player gamble on his own games, bet and win with bookies on his own games? In a separate story post, Anna Kane accused her husband of spending lavishly partying in Europe while asking her at the same time to sell her wedding re ring to survive and wrote about not being able to afford baby formula oh, for their child. Okay. They're having marital problems. Right? <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> If he's, if he's partying in Europe and telling her to sell her wedding ring for to buy baby food. The NHL said the integrity of Ooh. our game is paramount and the league takes these allegations very serious. So the wife of an NHL player is accusing her husband yeah. 
of not just betting on games. Because to me, there's a huge distinction. I know that you should never bet on games. But there's a big difference between betting on your team to win right. and betting on your team to lose. Right. Yeah. There is. To me, that's the whole Pete Rose thing. We don't want to bring that up now. We can do a whole 17 episodes on that. Yeah. Did he ever bet on the Reds to lose when he was managing, or did he always bet on – to me, there's a huge – line there sure. of demarcation. Uh, anyway, that's the story. If anything, it'll make your players better. Oh, by play the way, better. Kane's got a gambling history. Have you heard this? He's got a history and finances have been public knowledge for some time. A Las Vegas strip casino, the Cosmopolitan, sure. sued Kane in 2019, <laughs> alleging he failed to repay a $500,000 gambling debt racked up during a playoff series against the Golden Knights. He was Jeez. there... For the Vegas Golden Knights playoff series, and he got markers for five hundred thousand dollars, and then he walked out of the casino and didn't pay him. They went and skated the next day. How does that? I always wonder how that works. How casino—they just trust. You're these, asking the wrong. Yeah, I know. Get a whale on. Yeah. Okay. Fine. We'll get find Steve one. to get a whale on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, clearly they weren't living together. And she's, <laughs> I can't answer that. She's she's been done with him with for a while. Spouses like you, and by the way, and I'm not talking about him to her. I could. Don't take me out of context here. Maybe it's her to him. With spouses like you, yeah. who needs enemies? No kidding. I don't know how I missed that story. That's crazy. It's a big, big breaking story, actually, on ESPN. That's incredible. Yeah, go ahead. What, what was that website called again? Uh, ESPN? ESPN.com, yeah. Yeah, you say, okay. What does I, it stand for? I, I, I could not tell you. What ESPN stands for? Yeah, do you know? Yeah, sure. Because I remember when it was, I remember when it went on the air. I'm old enough to remember when it actually went on the air for the first time. I was pretty young. Go ahead. What does it stand for? The Entertainment and Sports Programming Network. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Are you following the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit with Disney? I have it on my list. Do you? Okay. I love it. I love this. This is a very this is very interesting to me, and it was going to be my last big story, but you beat me to the punch. Go, go ahead. Tell the, no, you go tell the story. Well, she filed a lawsuit against Disney yes. saying they violated the contract when it simultaneously released Black Widow, right. which she stars in, right. in theaters <clears throat> and on Disney+, Plus, right. which cut into her back end because her salary was tied to how well the film performed at the box office. So she got $20 million up front to film it, yep. and then she was getting a, a portion, as it happens with a lot of these big stars, of the proceeds. Yep. Right? So she's got she's gotten the $20 million. She says, her agent says, or her attorney says, quote, it's no secret that Disney is releasing films like Black Widow directly onto Disney Plus to increase subscribers and thereby boost the company's stock price. And that it's hiding behind COVID-19 as a pretext to do so. Okay? Yep. Fair enough argument. They say in response, this lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard of the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. They're saying this is all about COVID-19. We're trying to give as many people the chance to watch Black Widow as possible. This is not about Disney Plus and the stock price. And they say bullshit to that. So she wants fifty million more on top of the twenty million. And her, yeah, her lawyer she said, said it cost her fifty million bucks. Her lawyer then shot back after he saw Disney's response. It was like, first of all, you're putting her salary out there. Thank you for that. That's yeah. nice. He was yeah. pissed about yeah. that. Yeah. He said shamelessly and falsely accusing Miss Johansson of being insensitive to the global COVID pandemic in an attempt to make her appear to be someone they and I know she isn't. This well, is going to be. It, it, We'll see how many more. I, I've come out read. With I've read a couple of legal kind of experts' opinions on this because okay. they they're familiar with these contracts that they sign, and they think she's going to lose. 
Oh, they think really? That she doesn't have a she doesn't have very much of a legal leg to stand on. I will say this though, and I don't watch these movies. These, yeah. I mean, they my kids love them. Sure, the superhero movies. You probably yeah, do yeah, you I watch like them. Super, yeah, yeah. Okay, I I like Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. I really do. I like her. She's married to Colin Jost. Yeah. from Saturday Night. I like her. I think she's she's seventy million to do a movie. <laughs> well. I mean, 70 freaking million well, to do one movie. She's well, I mean, she's that good. Is any is any actor or actress worth 70 million bucks for one little movie? Yeah, but it's not fair to then qualify it when we're sports fans. Is Lionel Messi worth well, how much was he making to play soccer? He doesn't make 70 million to do one sh- one game. Uh, OK, well, it takes it doesn't take uh, one day to make the movie. Okay, OK, right. I mean, at 70. I never realized these people make seventy million on a, on a movie. Well, she ain't made seventy yet. I mean, she's made twenty. <laughs> well, she thought she was making seventy million. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, oh you forget like God. David Letterman was making thirty million a year. I mean, you know, it's big, I don't big know. business. I, I don't know. I, I, there's something different. Maybe my mind is warped, but there's something different about David Letterman going out there night after night yeah. after night okay. on TV doing a show night after night, fifty-two, whatever. He's on vacation, whatever. Thirty weeks, yeah, thirty-five yeah, yeah. weeks a year, whatever. And her doing one, and I know the movie takes months or whatever. <laughs> Seventy million for a freaking movie? Yeah. Uh, once you get in wow. that, once you get in that that Marvel world, forget about it. I mean, you're that's another reason of many why the the actor that played Black and, Panther. And then my next question would be to the movie producer and the people who make these movies. Was she so? I mean, she's great. Again, this is not a. Yeah, no, I am. I, I got you. Couldn't you have gotten somebody else to do it for like forty million? Well, the prop well, twenty five million. Did you really need Scarlett Johansson for seventy million? They have Jenny Aniston would have taken like uh, you yeah, know, right. eight, eight bucks. Aniston. But the, but you're, you're forgetting that when the Avengers came out, she's in it. I think I assume she's in the at yeah. least the second one. Yeah. So you can't then replace her because she's in the Avengers movies. So oh, we, I see. Right. So oh, you're, I see. You're, I can't, she's I, yeah, sort of she, grandfathered in. Oh. I mean, you could get another, but people are gonna be like, what? Why is Scarlett Johansson not playing Black Widow? Oh, she, Do you see how she you, had him by the balls. She did. Now, I, I will say that whoever played, I'm trying to think, two people played the Hulk in the first two, Ed Norton and Eric Bana, each played Really? The not Hulk. Lou Ferrigno? <laughs> no, that was, that was the TV show. But So they've had three people play the Hulk, so technically you could, but they've yeah. sort of stuck with the last guy. For, anyway, that, that's why she could command that. Wow. Yeah, because she is that's Black big, Widow. That's a big number, man. That's a good. That's a good chunk of change. But if you go look at like what Reese Witherspoon or any of the other big star makes, it's they, probably about that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I always thought 10, 15, 20 million a show, seventy million for one movie. Well, what's the highest grossing movie of all time? Well, I think Tom Cruise has a has a pretty sweet deal with those uh, those action packed movies. What is it? Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Yeah. 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 yeah what's I the highest know. grossing movie of all time? Oh, I don't know. Titanic. I don't know the. Uh, it's, it can't be Titanic. It would be that. Uh, it would be that. Avalon, not. Um, um, you're talking about uh, with with the the blue people. Yes. What is what is James that? Cameron's um, Avatar? Yeah. Avatar. It's I was not. Guess. It was for a long time. Okay. That would be the Avengers. The, oh. the 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 last one that came out. Really. They they actually re-released it into the theater just so they could break the record. Okay. The very. And so what's the number? Um, I think it was. Let's see, six hundred and twenty-three million. I'm looking and at. And I would say seventy million for one of the actors or actresses is too much for a six hundred million dollar. You movie. still think that? Yeah, yeah. Right. T- giving ten percent or t- or twelve percent of the of the gross of the of the film to one actress or one actor. Yeah, but that you're not- seems out of whack to me. I'm no businessman. I'm no CEO. <laughs> but giving somebody seventy million on a product that you that you 
The revenue is six hundred and twenty-three. Not the profit. Hold on a second. What? I gave you that from the first Avengers. <laughs> okay. Avengers Endgame. Yeah. This last one that came out. Yeah. Two point seven billion. Okay, now that's a different <laughs> now we're talking, right? Well, it's a different story. <laughs> it is, right? You're asking me to spend seventy million that on a six hundred and twenty million dollar. Yeah. Okay, fine. Investment. That's two point seven nine billion worldwide. Okay. And she gets twenty. I mean, come on. I mean, she's you know maybe seventy. All right, moving on. Okay. Gloria Estefan. Gloria Estefan, I feel like you probably like her music, no? Very much. Do you really? Well, she's part of the Miami the, Sound Machine. She was, yes. And where's Miami? I'm familiar with where it is, <laughs> yes. Her and her husband bought their house in 1993 for $1.8 million. It's in that same neighborhood where like Shaq and Tiger Woods live down there. Star Island? That's what it's called, yes. <laughs> Spending that sweet, sweet I was conga. over for a cocktail party once. <laughs> It'd be a nice place to go. Yeah. Spending that sweet, sweet conga money back in 1993. Bought their there house for $1.8 million. Now, according to property records, the Why famous couple... This? Why do we care about this? Well, they, they just sold their 8,000-square-foot house, the one they bought for $1.8 million, for $35 million. Good for them. That's, what I, that's why I brought Emilio. it up. Emilio. Emilio. Is that her husband? Yeah, Emilio Estefan. It is. It is Emilio. Yeah, that's right. I saw yeah, that. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, there you go. Pretty I, good Pretty I, good profit I on love, that house. I love Gloria Estefan. I, I like a lot of her songs, too. Oh, I love them. It cuts love both her. ways. Oh, and, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The theme to the Olympics in like 90. I can't think of that or, one, but I'm sure I'd like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a fan, too. Hey, Aaron Rodgers is on the field and happy. Good. On the field in Green Bay and happy because his uh, 2023 year was voided by the Green Bay Packers. That was part of the deal. Yep. They're making it very easy for him to play one more year in Green Bay and walk away if he so chooses. The funny part of this story is he wanted more say and he wanted some people signed and they were able to get back wide receiver Randall Cobb. Do you remember oh, Randall sure, Cobb? Oh, sure, yeah. He was, uh, he was in Houston for a year, Hotshot. Now he's back. Aaron Rodgers wanted him back. They got him back to Green Bay. And okay. in his first press conference, he says about his Texans experience, oh, I can breathe again. I think he said, I feel like I just got out of prison. Oh, boy. To come back. That's what he said about his Houston Texans experience. <laughs> he made $13 million to play 10 games. Oh, God. What a prisoner experience. <laughs> I feel terrible. Right. That must have been woeful. Oh, my God, yeah. to have to live in Houston for six or eight months and play for that crappy organization. Yeah. That, that's that's just, oh, I feel terrible for him. I do, too. $13 million for 10 games. Yeah. He should go to a prison and explain to them how he lived the past year <laughs> to see if they feel bad for him. in 10 games. <sighs> okay. All right. Huh? In Paris, a gray-haired man in a suit reportedly held up a high-end jewelry store earlier this week. Cops say he pulled a knife during the robbery, and while no one was injured, the suspect took off with a monumental haul in jewels and gemstones. The cops say he got somewhere between $2.5 million and $3.5 million worth of gems and, and, uh, and jewels. So what's shocking is that the guy got away on a green electric scooter, which kind of makes you wonder how he was able to pull this off, right? Well, law enforcement say there were plenty of potential witnesses nearby. However, they were all distracted by... Jean-Claude Van Damme. What? Who happened to be inside a nearby optometrist office. <laughs> Everyone's staring at stupid Jean-Claude Van Damme and a guy on a scooter in a gray suit takes off with three, three and a half million dollars worth of gems. But they, they, <laughs> they, they did have surveillance cameras and confirmed and they arrested two suspects in connection with the heist and recovered some of the You the know why Van property. Damme was in the optometrist's office? <laughs> he was testing out glasses to read... Does this say $70 million you got? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, he can't believe it. <laughs> believe me, he can't believe I, it. My eyes must need fixing because I think I read oh. $70 million for her. Yeah, yeah. Of all the people that get distracted by Jean-Claude Van Damme out of nowhere. 
All right, quick update on the metal church singer. I told you passed away at 55. Um, I, we're laughing, but it, it is being ruled a suicide because we were talking about how... Do I remember? Well, metal church was the Seattle band. Oh, oh yes, yeah, metal that church. That I told you yeah, about, yeah. And, and there was no drug paraphernalia. or mm, no, Ruled a suicide, they've officially said. Uh, they received a call on Monday morning, and, and uh, by the time they arrived, they found the 55-year-old. And somebody did reach out to me and say, thank you for mentioning that. I love metal church. Okay, good. So there you go. Good. I'm glad I did good. it for that one person. Uh, an email poured in. That's right. Um, <laughs> do you care that Russell Westbrook has joined the Los Angeles Lakers hot shots? I have it on my, uh, my, do my next care? door. Do you care? I think it's pretty awesome. 33 years old. He's going home to play for the Lakers and joining Davis and James. Anthony Davis and LeBron James have a new third wheel, and his oh. name is Russell Westbrook. Showtime in the Lakers. And they're now the favorites to win the NBA championship. My guess. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, he's 33, you said? He's 33 years old, and last year he did average a triple-double. But we don't even, <laughs> we don't even, That's all. We don't, we don't even, even look at those anymore because he's done it four out of the last five years. Averaged Crazy. a triple-double. There used to be a time where having a triple-double in a given game was like a, the, the lead story on SportsCenter. Right. Fat Lever had a triple-double. <laughs> oh, I love a rebounder, Fat Lever, for his size. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Magic yeah. Johnson recorded a triple-double tonight. Yeah. This guy averages it every year. That's incredible. But he's always been on but kind we, of But teams. we don't like him. We, we, nobody likes him, though. That's a problem. I like him. What do you mean no one likes no him? No one likes him. No oh, one really? Likes Russell, no. Yeah. Is he kind of like a selfish? He's kind of a mean – not selfish because he, he has a lot of assists. He just – not very friendly. Not a nice fella. Huh. He's just not nice. He's one of those kinda, guys that we've talked about. Kind of plays with an edge. Okay. Well, yeah. I remember watching him at UCLA, and I was like, yeah, he's pretty good. He won't be anything in the pros, though. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not a scout for the NBA. Same with you and James Harden, but right? But you have your own podcast. <laughs> That's right. It's a good thing you're doing music things on the P shows. Uh, all right. Do we want okay. some more? That's po it. How about a quick positive update about Tiger Woods? Your oh, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got your attention. My, my buddy. The golf star is now putting significant weight on his surgically repaired leg. Ooh. Anytime he's in public, man, the cameras are Ooh. there and they're keeping an eye on it. Just five yeah, months after it, he nearly lost it in that car yes. crash. Yep. He was seen in Los Angeles with his girlfriend. And while he's still... Erica. Erica Herman. Yeah. Still crutching around and wearing a protective sleeve. The 45-year-old yep. showed he's clearly able to put most of it, not all of it, uh, his body weight on the leg. So he was spotted outside the Beverly be Hills chipping Hotel. chipping any day now. And you're going to be there loving it, He'll aren't you? be chipping any day now. We need him back. Come right. back, Tiger. Just a quick one. The longest-running children's animated series in U.S. TV history you'll never get. Although your kids may have watched it. It's been around 25 years. The Wiggles! It's coming to an end, not the Wiggles. <laughs> It's called Arthur. Wake up, Jeff. We need you for oh, the show. <laughs> <laughs> the Wiggles. That's an interesting we went story. Down, we went up to Everett to watch them. Did got, you really? Oh, and I got great seats. <laughs> finally. Your wife's like, finally, you go out and get good seats and something. The Wiggles. And Wiggles. Yeah. All the things. Yeah. All right. Last story. Yeah. If you're looking to spice up your love life with an outdoor experience, there's a new spot for swingers opening in Mamau, Louisiana. It's called T-Boys Swinger Trailer Park. Their motto, you ask? Because, you know, all trailer parks have mottos, I guess. I don't. Bring your house and share your spouse. <laughs> you can come to Mamau for many good things. This will be one of them, said David Acoin, the man behind T-Boys. <laughs> Bring your house and share your spouse. He's opening it up for couples oh. that are into swinging, obviously. He says the swinger community is surprisingly bigger than you may think. Yeah. We got calls from Pennsylvania, from Arkansas, of course, all around Louisiana. We have text messages from all over the country. It's mind-boggling. Uh -huh. There's no reason to get mad at anybody for their preference. They're not out here, here hurting anyone. Nobody is selling drugs here. People just want to have a good time, enjoy themselves the way they want to. That's perfectly what it is. A coin says the grand opening for T-Boy Swinger Trailer Park is set for Memorial Day weekend of 2022. Mark it on your calendars. And when it's finished, the site will have a nude pool, 
a yoga, a nude yoga stadium, a strip poker hall, and a key party cabana. You know, the owner was making a lot of sense with me until he said, no one is selling drugs here, so I think I'm out now. <laughs> why, why wouldn't that be part of it? You know, I, I really am rooting for this guy, and I hope that his trailer park parties, I hope they go off without a hitch. I got it. Thank you, sir. The owner wants this place to be a safe community for everyone. Plenty of food, clean conditions, first aid, and even medicine. He's even considering turning the meth back into Sudafed. You need Sudafed to make meth. Okay. All right. And finally, bring your house and share your spouse. I'm a little discouraged that you know that. (laughs) Bring your house and share your spouse. That sounds good and all, but I think a more accurate motto probably is venereal wart divorce court. That's probably the better one if I had to guess. It's, it te- I'm guessing swingers really, that doesn't typically work you out. You know what? I like a different one. I, like, I have a different <laughs> okay, slogan. Okay, go ahead. How about with spouses like you, <laughs> yeah, right. who needs enemies? God. Uh, oh, God. God bless people. Whatever you're into, that's just not my thing. People out there I think are this into- is a good place to stop the podcast. Yeah, okay, fine. I don't mean this episode. <laughs> Yeah. Nice knowing you. I'll see you again in 15 years. Episode 152, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um... If you're invited to the party on Tuesday night, please be quiet. (laughs) Right. Take your shoes off. It's in the books.